Welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. My name is Kazen. We are here once again to talk with you about Vagrant Story. Yes. Maybe for the last time. Uh, we'll see. Maybe for the last time. <laughs> we have the timer going here, so we'll get right into it. But, um, yeah, like, the, the first half of, the, like, it's hard to explain. Like, the second half of the story... Mm. Is, is spread over way more game yes, than the yeah, first yeah, half of the yeah, story yeah. is. <laughs> and you just get little bits in between tons of boss fights. Yes. Tons of them. There is so much game breaking up all the stuff that we'll be talking about today. It is not <coughs> half yeah. of the game we're covering. It's the second half of the story, oh, the story. we're covering, <laughs> yeah. which is way more of the game. And I know that that's been tough for some of the viewers because they're like, I can't play through that much in a week kind of a deal. Yeah. Um... I, I, we're figuring out how to address this. Each game kind of calls for a little bit of a different approach to how we tackle it. And we are not we are not going to do a play-by-play of the rooms and the puzzles and the yeah, dungeons. Yeah, there's and no the, reason to do that. The bosses. Um, so I'm, yeah. I apologize. Yeah, you sorry. might have to sorry. break up your playthrough of a couple weeks and come back or something. Yeah. And in future games... Uh, I'll try to break it down better. But hopefully in future <laughs> games, they won't have Matsuno the, gameplay to yeah, I was gonna story say, uh, ratios. Most games aren't this bad. <laughs> they aren't this, yeah. this um, you know, difficult. We played two Matsuno games in a row. Yeah. And that's just kind of how he does things, right? It's just mm-hmm. there's a lot of game and very little story in that, in that particular section of the game. So uh, hopefully it won't be an issue with whatever the next game is. As of right now, but this will come out in two weeks, so I don't know yet. Uh, Final Fantasy X and Chrono Cross are in the lead. Okay, so let's get right into this. All right. Uh, The first cutscene after where we left off last time is uh, Ashley following Samantha and Guildenstern into a little courtyard. And he's sort of spying on them or listening into their conversation. Um, she's commenting about how Kildane glyphs are all over the walls of the city. Yeah. And Guildenstern responds, these are spell songs. Leomond is surrounded by sorcery. Um, you'll likely find them on every den and dovecote in the city. This city, it has unchanged these past 2,000 years. Neither the eroding walls nor the quake have sapped its strength. The dark is strongest towards the center, the great cathedral. So in the center of the city is the great cathedral. This is kind of where like the final dungeon is. Yeah, It's yeah. all leading into there, right? I have felt it. The entire city is a circle of magic. We were joking around. The city itself it is, is a transmutation a circle. A transmutation <laughs> circle. That is exactly what I put here. Um, uh, I be- oh, I, and I did not check which one came first. Oh, which game? Or uh, uh, the manga yeah. for... Uh, Full Metal Alchemist yeah. came first. Yeah, if you haven't seen Full Metal Alchemist, they draw transmutation circles. That's how the magic in their world works, right? Yep, and I believe something very similar to this <coughs> yeah. does happen at some point. Well, it, I think we already have seen it. Like, there's that scene where Hardin and, Mel- well, and in Merlos... Well, in Full Metal Alchemist, oh, Full Metal Alchemist something Alchemist. very similar to a whole city. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a little bit earlier... Ooh, uh, this came first. Vagrant Story came first. Really? Yeah, Before published 2001. There you go. By Enix, by the way. Square Enix. Uh, I, a lot of people don't know that Square Enix publishes manga mm. as well as a bunch of video games. Interesting. But by one year, this yeah, one came first. Yeah, but um, uh, Sydney was kind of drawing on the floor 
right? And yes. like Harden's talking yeah. to him, and then then he then like that big circle glows, and then there's all that magic, and the like wind is rushing. Yeah, the, air the and big stuff. circle with the writing. I tried <clears throat> so. to look into the writing. I couldn't recognize anything there. But um, they're talking about sigils, right? Like yes. this sigil is is like the 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 words you write become like a symbol that's like a sigil yep. that can either summon a boss or that can lock doors and things like yep. that. Uh, but it, yeah, it's all writing basically. Mm-hmm. Similar concept as in Full Metal Alchemist, and it looks yes. like uh, Vagrant Story came one year before. One year before. Okay, so uh, Rosencrantz is like on the other side listening in, and he starts mocking Guildenstern for just figuring this out. <laughs> he's like, everyone already knows, which is basically <laughs> what he said to us, yeah, too. So yeah. he shows up, and he's pretending to us, oh, everyone knows, you're the only one that doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Then he goes to Guildenstern and says, oh, everyone already knows this, what are you doing? Yep. And it's like, okay... Whatever Rosencrantz says is probably not true in that regard. The way he says everyone knows. It's oh, like, right. well, you mean probably like two people the, know? Well, <laughs> maybe well, three. the Mullenkamp dudes maybe know. Because he does mention later that he learned all this yeah. by spying on Mullenkamp mm. and becoming friends with some of them, right? And that's when he decided to like... Basically, he w- he was done with the VKP in Parliament. He was going to right. Them. He was sent here in one capacity, and he slowly, as he says, he yeah. met new friends, and he right. kind of changed a little bit as things went. So he probably knows, and maybe he reported some of it to the. So VKP. Guildenstern has not been able to extract anything, any information from the Mullen Camp Maybe. Well, I don't know. That's a good question. Because I would guess well, that they I mean, don't Grissom was trying either. to like interrogate that guy, and he wouldn't answer him, right? Yeah, that guy spit in his face. Yeah. So they're like willing to die for Sydney, right? That's so. true, and Sydney's got a, a hold on them on their minds, right? But that's pretty, that's pretty good hold. And good. if the if the VKP knows some of what Rosencrantz knows, if he had reported it, yeah. they're not going to share that information with the cardinal, right? Most right. likely. So I don't know. It's 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 hard to say, but Gildenstern is like learning about this and apparently did not know, just like Ashley did not know a lot of these yes. things. And he is very upset about it. And he's pissed. He's pissed at Rosencrantz. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, he says in this, he says the line, the Grand Grimoire is the city. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. Um, but also it gives the idea that the city is like a book that you can read. Mm-hmm. And like in some ways that's so true, especially a city like Saint-Emilion in France, yeah. right? Where you can walk around and you're, it's like a story. It's like you're in a story, mm-hmm. you know? And I haven't been there personally, but I've seen the pictures and I can imagine just like being there would be similar to, especially how old it is and the way the buildings look. It's like you. It's almost like you're reading a storybook as you would walk through an old village like that. Yeah, I've right. been I've been in old villages like it, especially in Japan, and that is kind of what it's like. Yeah. You know, I love the I love the comparison. It's like a storybook. Coming yeah, to it's life. like a book. It's like you're reading the city. Yeah. Um, so Guildenstern tries to use some of his like manipulation or mind control power kind of thing on Rosencrantz, but it just like bounces off him. Now t- and to the end of this game, I don't, I don't understand why. I think well, the, Ro- Rosencrantz is immune to the darkness, more or less, and I don't know why. Everybody is sort of exhibiting different kinds of powers. Uh. Right? Guildenstern seems to have the same like compelling power that Sydney. Like Sydney's got it all, right? Oh, that's but you're right. You're Guildenstern, right. Guildenstern seems to have that. Yeah, um, some Ashley, people can read hearts. Yeah, Ashley and. Um, and Hardin and even Merlos have that seer right, power. Right, they have vision. That's true. And uh, Samantha even has that a little bit. Anyways, 
it seems to like Samantha does, but Merlot's has an even different power closer to Sydney's in terms yeah. of that we'll see later. It's, but it's, yeah, you're right, they're different. It seems like different aspects or different maybe portions of what the dark's full power is is emerging in people slowly. Yeah. And but only the one who inherits like the role Sydney has, right, yeah. is the one who gets all of it. I would think would yes. be that. That would be my theory on that. But I, so is one of the powers of the darkness being immune to the other powers of the I, darkness? Because Sydney seems to not, I mean, I guess. Well, I think this you're is, right. This is getting I towards the right. end, but I would think Sydney would have some ability to resist. I would think so. Anyways, but there's more to talk about that later. We'll, we'll get Gildenstern. to that later. But yeah. in any case, Rosencrantz, this magic is just bouncing off of him, right? Yes. And, and he also, says, uh, he reveals that he was... A risk breaker, like he was. Yes. He really was. He really like, was. That was. He wasn't lying. I didn't that. believe him there, <laughs> and he's like, you know, oh, I got kicked out, but I used to be a risk breaker. It's like, yeah. whoa, okay. He, he says, your memory fails you. The dark holds no power over me, nor do mm. I recall us ever being friends. My friendship with the Duke is fleeting as well. So he's just uh, like outwardly saying, like, I'm, I'm going to betray myself, people, yeah, and I don't care about any of you. <laughs> well, and that's where um, Rosencrantz is like, have you no honor? You know, you're yeah. not. You're a sellsword. You're just yeah, a mercenary right. for hire. And, you know, don't you have any principles? Yeah. So he and Guildenstern are about to fight. That's when Rosencrantz says, uh, you forget I'm a risk breaker here. Like, <laughs> right. you really want to try and fight me? Um, and as they're about, they're getting on the, like, the edge of getting ready to fight, yeah. Samantha starts seeing, but she's seeing through Ashley's yes. eyes, who is, like, right there. Behind and a wall. <laughs> yes, and as she's seeing, she's hearing herself yes. talking. Yes. And she's like, but I'm here. Like, what am I seeing? It's really like, confusing. Out. Yeah. And so, uh, anyways, she, that's how she learns that Ashley is, like, in the area with them, right? Really close, yeah. She didn't know where, but she could tell he was yeah. close. And the Rosencrantz uh, says, or puts this together and says, they are linked. Samantha's rhythm is attuned to his, Guildenstern. So it's like... At he's around here. The risk breaker is here. Yeah. Um, anyways, so I really liked this part. Like, they decide to leave, right? They walk through that door, and yes. Ashley's following them to the door, and then they just come back through the door I know. Again. <laughs> they just totally trick it. I well, loved that. Yeah, yeah. I loved that because it shows, like, our villains aren't just dumb bad guys like you see in a lot of things, yeah. right? Like, they tricked him into following them so they could yeah. turn around and just like fight and him And right just ambush there. him, yeah, yeah. I thought that was really great. I really liked that. Um, so uh, Guildenstern basically leaves Rosencrantz to fly to. And yeah, and then they use the vertigo shot that oh, you, yeah. you rarely see that in a video game. Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty cool, but the camera, what would you call it? The camera uh, zooms in while pulling, pulling out, out yeah. right? That was the way that they did it for this one. And it com compressed space, and it's right before we fight. Yep. And Rosencrantz is like, basically, I, I think he's telling us a little bit more about our past. And then as that is happening, he's like, all right, now I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And it's it's pretty unsettling, but it's cool. I don't You don't see the camera tricks like that in a video game, especially not a PS1 video I game. I know, right? Like, that's <laughs> cool. That's cool. It's super cool. Uh, he goes over a lot of stuff here, though. So he basically breaks down that he and Ashley um, knew each other for a long time in the past. Yeah, a long, long time. That In fact, he was there. Yes, when, when they killed the The family. trauma happened, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was Rosencrantz and Ashley who were the ones that yeah. did that, right? Um, 
So he, Rosencrantz tells him that it was him who set up Ashley as the VKB's, er, uh, VKP's errand boy, mm. and that he has Ashley to thank for him getting kicked out of the Risk Breakers. Yeah. So they were teammates. He helped him, like, get involved with whatever his role now is in the VKP. Yeah. And then, as thanks for that, like, Rosencrantz gets kicked out because of yes. whatever something that Ashley did. At least that's his side of the story, right? Probably not even Ashley's <laughs> fault. But, you know, it's like, that. that's the reason. So, uh, anyways, they have the fight. Rosencrantz yields, and then he, he goes over some dialogue that really fills this hole. He has a lip ring, by the way. He does. Did you notice that? Yeah. yeah. yeah that I didn't know right what there. it was for, yeah. <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, it's a lip ring. My yep. gosh, I thought it was something else. I thought he was drooling. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, a shame your skill in the killing arts did not go the way of your memory. And Ashley is confused by the killing arts. What are you talking about? This is referring yeah. to kind of what... Sydney was referring to, you were an assassin About before, him being an assassin, And yeah. you're remembering your assassination training. It's coming back to you, right? Yeah. Um, so they were part of the same unit. Uh, when Ash- Ashley is still kind of continuing to insist, believing that that meant the Kingsguard, that he was a, oh, yes, formerly yeah, yeah. a member of the Kingsguard. So he's like, what do you mean Rose same Krantz unit? is like, what? Same unit as we were in the Kingsguard? He's like, what are you talking about? Kingsguard? No. Like... Yeah. Oh, he's like, oh, more VKP lies, right? Yes. I, I um, underestimated the VKP's yes. ability to like, Their manipulate. ability to brainwash and yeah. to replace like new mm. memories within him. He says that multiple times in the conversation. Yeah. He's like, ah, more VKP lies. Uh-huh. So not only did the VKP make us forget the past, but they installed a fake past into us. Yeah. Right, through, I guess, just brainwashing techniques. Yeah. And um, this more or less confirms that Sydney was not lying. It's like Rosencrantz and yeah. Sydney. Yeah, Rosencrantz was there. Out of the I mouth of two witnesses. Right? Yes, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> Shall every truth be established? So once, but that is so true, though. Once yeah. you hear it from from a what'd you call it? A non-biased, uh, like an external source that's yeah. not involved with the original source. Right. It's like okay, that's probably true, right? Yeah. Like, uh, well. Um, we ended up seeing the memory again, right? Yes. But we with Rosencrantz there, yeah. and Rosencrantz is telling us like, "Hey, man, don't worry. They we we had they, they were witnesses. What else were we gonna yeah, do? We, we had, had to, to kill, kill all them. the witnesses. Yep. And basically, Ashley, right then and there, just kind of passes out and just like falls down. Yep. Um, it seems as though that was not his family, <laughs> but yes. Um, that is something his reaction, we're, we're going to debate later. Yes, yes, his reaction is very heavy to what he just did. So it's yeah. like, okay, that's a thing, right? Yeah. Uh, but there's a reason for it. And Rosencrantz was completely unaffected by it. Yes. And we were just like way too affected by it. Yep. So that's how that scene goes the second time. Yep. He's just why, why? Tell me why these people had to die, kind of a thing, right? Like it's yeah. weighed heavily on him. And Rosencrantz even goes into the fact that you weren't the only one that this affected, like what the VKP was doing mm-hmm. at the time. Yes. He, he goes into it here. I think oh, I wrote, yeah. wrote this all down. This so, was good. Um, the risk breakers may be the wards of law now, but it was not always so. We were always champions of justice, true, but a justice that served the state alone. Yes. We course. were above the law. We assassinated political enemies of parliament and sent sharp steel to bloody the civil wars of our neighbors. To the people, we were the knights of law and order. To our enemies, we were the parliament's hatchet men. Yep. I like so that line right it's there. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. He goes on to reveal that his motivation now, at this point, right, after 
leaving the risk breakers, mm -hmm. is to use those who used him. So yep, yep. he felt like yeah. what he had been made to do right was wrong as well. Right. He was trying to justify it in the scene where they sure. actually did the killing. But, but he, he is a person. Yeah, but he realized so. like, but it's more yeah. like he hated that he was used than that he hated oh, sure. what he did necessarily, okay. right? But this is an answer to the previous scene where Guildenstern says, have you no loyalty, have you no honor? Yeah, right? it's like, why would And he's he? like, I'm not loyal to the group of dogs that runs our country. Yeah. Like, I'm not loyal to that group of, of nothing, like, low lives. Yeah, exactly. Why would I be loyal to them, you know? And this is where he talks about how during the time when the VKP sent him to spy on Mullenkamp that he made some new friends, yeah. which is how he learned about the city's power. He learned it from the Mullenkamp cult people. Yeah. Um, he says, the pawns have seen the game board for what it is. Now there's only one thing left. And Ashley responds, Leomond, the blades, the VKP, they all want the power it holds. And uh, Rosencrantz says, correct. And dear Sidney holds the only key. I cannot fathom what his intentions are in using you as a vessel for the dark, regardless his time is nigh. I loved how, for at least for me, mm. my reading of this in this moment yeah. immediately turned Sydney into the protagonist of the story. I know. It was around this time. <laughs> so between this scene and the skipping one before, the one we ended last podcast yeah. on, mm -hmm. um, between those two scenes, you really think differently about Sydney yeah. at that point, mm -hmm. right? And specifically after we fight with Sydney yeah. against, what was his name? Was it Romeo? Who's the other guy? Oh, Grissom that we Grissom. fought. Grissom. Yeah. When we fight with Sydney against uh, Grissom, and then Sydney, we have that exchange with him, and he says, follow me if you want to yeah. learn more or fulfill your destiny, however he puts it. Um, and then at this point, you know, I, I, I totally agree. that it was, it was pretty quick, but it didn't feel super sudden yeah. to me. I don't feel like Sydney changed as a character. No. Um, I feel... But how I felt towards him did change based on some pretty like logical assertions, yeah. right? It's, it made a lot of sense. It was actually. the context, the recontextualization of the VKP and the church and yes. that stuff. And all of a sudden being a rebel against these horrible groups is actually a not good thing. such a bad idea. It's like, yeah. yeah, maybe a bloody revolution is necessary at this point. Yeah. It doesn't seem like reparable. It doesn't seem like this is a fixable solution this or situation. felt a little bit like how the first chapter of Final Fantasy Tactics went, where oh, yeah. you're initially a knight yes. fighting rogues. For and, the government. Yeah, and the, then the by, good the, government. by the end of that chapter, it's yeah. totally reversed. Yes. And that's kind of what this felt like. This felt like that, but it, in, in a short, compressed yeah. period of time. Yeah. Right. So I really liked that. It was like, all of a sudden, I just was like, oh, Sydney is... The protagonist, even not even Ashley, who yeah. is working for the VKP, right. has a sketchy past. Yeah, yeah, and all of this is like it's like Sydney's the actual like good guy of the yes. story. <laughs> yes, exactly. And even his cult doesn't realize that he actually doesn't want what he's telling them he wants. Right. Right. And, and, and Harden's yeah, kind Harden, of torn by this. Harden has an issue with it's that. It's like si Sydney is really doing what the Duke wants. Yeah, yeah. In the end. And right. so it's like, <laughs> this is the point where you start realizing Sydney is the protagonist of the story, yeah. even though he's not our viewpoint character, which is really cool. I really, really like that. Well, we'll talk about how the how things would have gone were he the viewpoint character, um, yeah. maybe towards the end. Yeah. Um, but as it is, it may, it may sound a little bit weird that he 
is the protagonist, but he's not the viewpoint character. Um, but I actually think this is the right decision to have it, to, to view yes. this through Ashley. Yeah, I, I actually agree. think that makes sense. Um, after Rosencrantz leaves, I kind of like he was like, next time uh, we fight, like, I won't, I won't yield hold so back. easily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like uh, this old Dude, tiny we, way <laughs> of basically saying, like, um, uh, it, it, I guess, I don't know how to put this, like, terminology-wise, but I follow a Twitter account um, called, oh, crap, hold on, let me pull it up. Scrub Quotes. Oh, Have yeah. you ever read I'd, Scrub, Scrub no, Quotes? No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's the funniest it's the funniest thing. They basically just post, um, they just post people like freaking out and being sore losers in fighting games or online oh, yeah. multiplayer games and things, and just like oh, like freaking out. This basically felt like Rosencrantz is a scrub, and he's oh, like, okay. it's like a scrub quote <laughs> uh -huh. that he's putting out, that, but like an old timey way of saying it, and. And Ashley, like, calling him out on it. Like, you're a sore loser, Rosencrantz. Oh, yes, <laughs> like, he says up. that. Shut he up. literally <laughs> says that. Yeah, that's so funny. It's <laughs> like, I, even though you <laughs> totally, like, beat me really bad, and to where he was, like, on the ground, like, um, out of breath, you know, just like, yeah. And uh, you could have killed me. I went easy on I you. Actually I, I actually would. Yeah. yeah. I actually would have won. If I was trying, I would have won. <laughs> oh, I remember. I remember when I was in... Um, I was in high school. I was in summer school, actually, because yeah. my grades were so bad. <laughs> and there was this kid next to us. And remember when it was cool to have like a chain on your wallet? Yeah, remember I do remember that. People would walk around with yeah. the baggy pants and the, a chain on the wallet, you know? Yep. And this guy was like trying to show off how strong he was, and he was like pulling it, and he was like, "Dude, I could totally break this." And somebody <laughs> in class was like, "Go ahead and do it." And he's he's like, "Yeah," and he like starts to pull it a little, and he goes, "I'll bet you I could if I want to." <laughs> <laughs> he put it back down. And first of all, those things are kind of expensive. So it's like, what, why would he even be doing this in the first place? Like, oh are you gosh. really going to break your chain for your wallet just because somebody told you to? But then at the same time, he was really going to do it. And yeah. then he just chickened out in the worst possible way instead of just being like, no, dude, like, that's stupid. He was, like, trying to show off, but in the end still kind of trying to keep that upper hand while at the same time being like, uh, I either can't do this or really shouldn't. Yeah. It was so funny. Yeah. So, anyways, I liked that. It was funny. Um, but when he leaves, Ashley ends up saying to himself, uh, lying to ourselves, believing our own lies. So he's sort of coming around on the idea that he's been yeah. lying to himself, that he's believed his own lies, and that he needs to, you know, start accepting the truth. So, anyways, the next scene is really good too. You have to fight mm. three bosses before you get to this part. <laughs> <laughs> but when you finally get there, um, it's Merlos, um, and uh, she's, well, he, he, hear, he hears her voice kind of like asking for him, like calling out yeah, to him sort of thing. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And that's right. when he gets like tuned to her rhythm. Yeah, and then he, we kind of like kneel down and just like close our eyes. and Yeah, and so she's sort of sitting by a door that Hardin had locked with a sigil, yeah. and some knights are trying to break through it, but right. they can't get through. And she's a little startled by that, and then she, now, she looks up. what's crazy is this shows us next to Merlos, yeah. right? This is where I finally made the connection that these are not ghosts, right? Oh, right. That these are people who are projecting or who are um, seeing through somebody else, and then they're present. They're, they're there. Yeah. So while somebody is seeing through Merlos or someone relevant around there, around their eyes, um, the person who is being used can see that person as a ghost. Yeah. Right? 
Well, kind of. Is that not this how it is, works? This is that's, this that's is a what little, I took This from is a it. little confusing. So Ashley is seeing through Merlot's, and in the scene, he is in his grayed out yeah, form, standing there. Yeah, and we're standing like standing. There. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's she how all the ghosts can't are. see Ashley. I don't think. I think what this is well, implying is that Ashley okay. is present in the scene. But they didn't need to imply that before. <clears throat> I so agree. So why are they doing it now? I agree. I, I now that you've mentioned it, it's something that I think. Because in the past, they've shown like a first-person perspective as yes. if you're seeing through their eyes. But even, even they'll do that initially, but then as uh, Sydney and Harden have their back and forth, we do see Merlot's from a third-person perspective as well. Yes. But we're not, we're not there, you know. Right. And also, she starts using a power in this scene that we That's haven't different. really seen yet. Yeah. That Harden is in the room physically, the color version of Harden who is refusing to answer yeah. her questions. But she's able to like read his mind and then a, like yes. a ghostly form of Harden will appear. And that, that's just a representation of it's, his inner um, thoughts. Yes. It's not that's like true. a that's ghost true. of that's Harden. True. It's just so, like his... So the grayed out figure can mean somebody's heart or mind telling or somebody seeing through someone else or an actual ghost. Yes. Okay. Correct. That's, <laughs> that's um, why that, I feel like that can be kind of Might confusing. be a... Uh, an issue I have with this game. Well, actually, no. Maybe not the ghost part. I can't talk about this yet. It would are, be a spoiler. Are any of the grayed out people actual ghosts? Maybe the boy. <laughs> See, maybe the boy that uh, that Ashley saw at the beginning. Right. Maybe. But, may, yeah, maybe. Well, we'll talk about <laughs> he could that be, then. Maybe he we'll could be a real ghost. That. The other boy that looks like Joshua that Merlos has been seeing, yeah. I don't think is a ghost, and I will talk more about that when we get to that point, yeah. in case we have to split this into two episodes and it would be a spoiler for the final episode. Well, I, um, well I, I'm excited <laughs> to talk about that, <laughs> yes. that moment, because that's an yes. interesting, interesting it's, it's good stuff. Okay, Kay. so anyways, she is, or Hardin uh, is like standing on a platform above her, right? Yeah. Um, and is like, oh... Um, usually I like to summon a guardian to protect the sigils, but this one I made particularly strong, so they're not getting yeah. through there. Um, he's revealing in saying that, that he can summon monsters too, right? So the same thing Grissom did when we fought him, that circle that like dropped the knight in the oh, armor down. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. summoning. Mm -hmm. That's what Sydney's been doing, and Guildenstern was referencing that earlier. Like he's yeah. going, but they don't act, these cultists are doing this, but they don't have control over it. Kind of right, thing. they're just dropping dark monsters everywhere. Yeah, and eventually they're going to get out of the yes. city, and this yeah. is really bad. So Harden... And Guildenstern <laughs> would never <laughs> let dark power go out of the city. Right. Never. Yeah, so Harden is revealing he has this power too, right? Yeah. So anyways, Joshua appears behind him. This is the first time we've seen him since like the opening scene of the game, really. Seen him, yeah, well, at least conscious. Yeah. Yes. He, this is the first well, time we've seen him. the like, colored version of... The, the colored version, I know. Yeah. The physical yes. boy. <laughs> yes. Um, so he appears from behind him. Uh, Merlos is a little startled by that um, because she's been seeing a ghostly figure that looks like this boy. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh my gosh, this is like crazy. There's the ghost. Are, what's going on here? Yeah. Right? Um, uh, so, Hardin describes Joshua as being timorous and not speaking. Like, he hasn't spoken a word since yeah, yes. he was kidnapped. And um, every time we had seen him up to that point, he's been, they were basically holding him like a football. Yeah. Right? He was, right. like, unconscious completely. All the excitement has made, it's been a traumatic sort of yeah. shock, and so he's not been speaking. But there's, like, a little bit of, um, 
oh, what's the term, where you start falling for the person who kidnapped you. Oh, Stockholm. There's a Stockholm yeah. syndrome a little bit going on here, where he's, like, taken to Harden, and he, like, likes him. Yes. And, well, quite a bit. Yeah. Yes. And Harden actually has taken to him as well. Yes. Um, as we'll see later. But yeah. they're they're kind of, like, you know, looking, at, looking hip, after like, each other. Yeah, peanut yeah. pod kind of a deal, right? Yeah. Um, so... She begins to ask him why Mullenkamp sees the Ducal Manor and Hardin is refusing to give the answer. And all yeah. of a sudden, like almost like in, inherently, she doesn't know how she's doing it or she didn't mm. mean to do it. She starts to read his thoughts or his heart, right? And this is yeah. when like the ghostly version of Hardin appears, but that's just a representation of his inner thoughts, not like a real ghost, right? Right. So... I like how they do that, though. So you've yeah. got you've got Harden, and this is at least in part. This is why I think in this scene, <clears throat> Harden is standing up so high, and she's really low, as if he is lording over her. You know, he's like, "I'm your boss. I'm I I call the shots. I'm the boss, yes, right?" Right. But then when she reads his heart, right, then she, it, it 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 doesn't stay up there. It comes down to be next yes. to her down. So right. she's bringing him down. She's bringing the abstract, well, the spiritual version of Hardin down to her level, yes. where they can actually speak face to face, heart to heart. You know, actually have a, a, a normal conversation. But she's bringing him down, and he's not liking that at all. Um, because, anyways, I, I think there's a there's a good reason why they did it that way. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah. Um, it's it's a really cool sort of abstract way of getting that concept yeah. across, mm-hmm. right? Well, bringing him down to her level. Yeah. And so, um, so he begins only spilling the beans. fleshy body is up high. His true yeah. self is down low. Right. Um, yeah, he starts so telling her all the, the secrets. He says, we turned banners against the Duke. So remember, the Duke was funding Camp, but now Camp has turned against the Duke. Right. This was kind of what they explained in the very first scene in the VKP meeting room. Um, We turned banners against the Duke. He sought to seal off our wellspring after two decades of toil. The Duke is mortally ill. He fears he will pay for this life's sins in the next. So he seeks to bury this city as though that would bring absolution. So the Duke is getting... um, he feels like he needs to absolve the sins of having continued the dark or continued harboring or yeah. uh, allowing the dark power of Leomond to exist. He was he was he, he seemed to have inherited that uh, the dark the power of the dark is, is some kind yeah. of inheritance. It was passed to him. I right? want to know. I think we should talk about this more later. Okay. So. Anyways, the fact that he wants to now not only get rid of that, but like sort of bury the city, not yeah. like he, that's his way of feeling like he can absolve. To, to atone, this, yeah. Yeah, atone for the sins of his life, of having yeah. allowed that to continue. Yeah. Um, and so she responds, and you seek to pluck the city from his dying hands, correct? And this is where Hardin, the real version of the man, is like, oh, you're a seer. What witchcraft is this? Like you're yes. reading my mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, he tries to stop her, uh, but she keeps going. She insists you will answer. Right. I really mm-hmm. like that. She almost commands it. Yeah. And then Har- the ghost Harden appears again. Right. And he says, um, "To inherit the city, you must have the key. 
Only the bearer of the key can receive the power of the Grand Grimoire. The key bearer, the Duke, will soon die. If he dies without a successor, all is lost. The Duke thinks he can cut off the cursed Molenkamp bloodline, but that must not be allowed to happen. We will assume the legacy. So, this is going back to the first, the, I keep saying first, the first, like, the real true first scene of the game. Not the prelude scene in the VKP offices, but um, in the Duke's Manor when it's that being part, burned. yeah, yeah. At, uh, when we first see Sidney and Hardin, he's saying, oh, the cursed Duke, where has he put it? I think what Sidney is referring to there is the key, this key mm. that he's talking about. Where has the Duke put the key? Right. Right, like they're looking for the key that they need for this right yeah. to inherit the dark. That's what Hardin believes, is that the Duke has this key and uh, they could not find it in the manor. They're looking in Leomond for the key, right? Yeah. And this is to assume the, the legacy of the dark, right? Yeah. Um, so anyways, Hardin then stabs his own leg to like break the tie to make it so that she stops reading his mind or whatever, which I kind of liked. Yeah. And so she's like, wow, this is my power. And he says, so it seems, as, uh, as I can scry on distant locales, so the talent of the heart seers has followed you. So basically, the heart seer, I like yeah, that. You, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a good way of putting it, heart yeah. seer. Rather than like reading minds, it's a, it's a heart reading kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? Um, <clears throat> so she's developing the same power that he has. Um, and so... Anyways, this is where they started talking about what you were referencing a little earlier. Even if he can see the past and clasp the truth, this is her speaking to, to Hardin. So she's talking about Sidney's power to see the past and to like learn the truth about things. Even if he can see the past and clasp the truth, how are we to know if he speaks it? If he can push us to believe anything, how do we tell the truth from falsehood? Yeah. And he says, why single him out? Everyone lies, surely you know that. Whether yeah. they are the dark sorcerers or corrupt clergy, they all lie and we believe, am I wrong? And then she heart sees him again and he says, he wouldn't lie to me. <laughs> he wouldn't lie to me, that was what his real thought was. And yeah. this is a key setup, yes. I really like this. Yeah. He believes in his heart that no, Sidney wouldn't do that to me. Yes. And it's ignorance and I think a lot of, this, this to me felt very relevant to basically all times, really, but like, yeah. I only know my own time. But it seems relevant to, to my know. time. Everybody thinks they've got it right. Everybody sure. thinks my side's not lying yes. to me. Well, <laughs> and even if you get somebody to speak to where they're having a conversation and they're trying to sound reasonable, yes. they will say something along the lines of, yeah, you know, everyone lies, you can't trust anyone. Yes. But then, if were you to be able to read their hearts at the time they say that, they would be saying, Oh, but these are the people who I believe would never lie. Yes, to me. right. And it's um, a contradictory. It's a contradiction, right? But I do feel like most people, like you said, would admit, let's say, like uh, our media or something like that, are lying yeah, yeah. to us all the time. Yes. And there's like all this evidence of that, right? But yet yeah. there are still certain pieces of information they choose to believe. Yes. It's like you have to trust at some point someone's not lying to you if you want to form right. your worldview on what's actually happening, right? So, but how you arrive at that is not necessarily like a logical thing. Exactly, it's not. It's, <laughs> yeah. well, I was told this and it seemed right to me, so I'm going to like hold on to it like, right. really heavily. Yeah. There's something called the Gelman amnesia effect. Yeah. Um, 
which is where whenever, if you're an expert in something, whenever the news, you know, talks about that thing, you will often find that they did not treat it properly, right. that they did not talk about it well, right? Like yeah. they, they're wrong, they got it wrong. Um, but the reason it's called the Gelman amnesia effect is because once they move on to something that you're not an expert in, you believe it as, yes. though, as though it was 100% true. Even though the one thing that you really know about they got wrong, you believe all the other things that yes. you don't know about, assuming that they're the experts and they got right. it right. But everyone does that. Yeah. Everyone who then the expert in that thing says, oh, they got that wrong, yeah. though. And then the expert in the next thing that they talk about. So you could find an expert, well, many experts, that would say, oh, they got it wrong. Um, but then they all will just believe the next thing that is told to yeah, them. Yeah, it's the... That's, that's just kind of a part of how the brain works. I, I feel like the nuance and the truth that I think everyone can relate to in mm -hmm. that concept is really beautifully... No, oh, like, I think shown so. I think so. With and just with that one line, <clears throat> yeah. he wouldn't lie to me, where it's like, oh, <laughs> that is so human, though. That's yeah, so it like really is. tangible and real. It, Harden is a super relatable character. Yes, particularly in this scene. But I just think throughout the game, he's a really good character. I really yeah, like him is. a lot. Um, okay, so she then asks him what they're planning to do with the Grand Grimoire, but this he won't answer, and she can't make him answer. So even when she tries to dig, somehow scene, he's able to. He re he does not reveal. Yeah, that. and so they kind of move on from that. Ashley. This is where Ashley says, in response to hearing all of that, the power to brand one's will onto another, Sydney's true past, was it a lie? No, there you go. Exactly. So, so now he's now he questioning question that. whether what Sydney showed him was the truth yes. or not, or what Rosencrantz confirmed was the truth yes. or not. Now it's all muddied because it's like Because well Sydney lies. Sydney I know Sydney lies now. Yes. So he could have been lying to me Did about he lie this to, me? to manipulate go. me because he right. has this game that he's since the beginning of the game when they after that first Minotaur boss fight he's like yeah you are I'm the heart which by the way yes. heart is not a rabbit it's a deer oh really it got a little oh. confused because hair is a rabbit right? yeah well hair, I just heart, assumed I kind of did too okay. a heart is a deer but anyways Good you're the know. hunter Ashley's the yeah. hunter I'm the heart you're gonna chase me now it's a game. Manipulation that he's putting him through. Yeah. So as part of that game, why would he not lie to like exactly. get me to think a certain way, or right. get me to do what he wants? It's me a to trap. Do. It's all they're they're playing. Um, like if you're setting traps for someone, why would your words not do the same? Yeah. Why would you not set a trap with your words? Right. So now, as it, it seemed like maybe he was about to accept, Ashley was about to accept he had been lying to himself and believing his own yeah. lies. Now he's like, but Sydney could be lying to me. And Rosencrantz could be lying. It's to me. a reason for him to <laughs> to believe what he wants to believe. Yes, right? he found a reason. Yes, and he's going to hold on to it. So, after you fight several more bosses, uh, you come up against Tiger and Nisa. Oh yeah, um, they want revenge on Ashley for killing Grissom. Like Grissom's body is there, who's now a zombie, right? Yeah. So you fight them, but then after that, Grissom. He like An animates, up. but the the craziest thing about this is Grissom when he died, his soul left. Or we saw that earlier with the one soldier. Yeah, yeah. He was like laying there, and his his soul left, and that was introducing us to the concept right. that souls stay trapped in purgation mm -hmm. in Leomond, and then anytime they can find a body, they go after it. And that's how the undead yeah. animate. Grissom's soul found his own body. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> really crazy, right? And and, and Nisa sort of uh, comments on this. She says, "Grissom, you have left this coil." By coil, she means like mortal coil. Yeah, right? the mortal coil. You've left this coil. The dark has filled you. You have joined the cold ones. 
an ironic fate. I suppose it is better than endless wandering, but to happen upon your own corpse. Mm -hmm. So Grissom's soul found his own zombie body yeah. and reanimated as a zombie, but like a part of his he's still consciousness is sort of there, but he's losing it. He's losing it and he's hearing voices everywhere. He's yeah. like, the walls are telling me to kill people and yeah. <clears throat> the walls are telling me that everyone wants to kill me. Yep. So he's, he's losing it. He's losing his humanity even though yeah. he's found his own body, which is a really yeah, interesting crazy. idea, right? Yeah, very your soul finds your own corpse and animates you as a zombie, but your own soul. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that was a cool scene. Uh, later on, we see a scene where uh, Gildenstern, Samantha, and Rosencrantz kind of arrive at the center of the city in the, um, oh, what did you call it earlier? The, the cathedral, the central cathedral. Yeah, yeah. Like where <coughs> the center of the transmutation circle. I can't remember what it's right? called, but yeah, the cathedral. Yeah, the grand cathedral, I think. So uh, Rosencrantz goes back, and they, the rest of them go in. So Gildenstern has arrived at like the center of the city now. And Rosencrantz is going, I think, to find Sydney. Mm. Um, so after fighting another boss, we get another scene with Hardin, Merlos, and Joshua. They're in, I think they are now inside of the cathedral too. So they've made it into the center of yeah. the city as well. I think they're maybe just a little bit ahead of Gildenstern's retinue at this point. So they're just a so. little bit ahead of them. Based on the order of events, that yeah. sounds correct. So uh, they're inside of a room that has the Kildean Rood. That's this symbol, it's on the ceiling. Yeah. Um, and uh, Joshua still isn't talking, right? But Hardin seems to be really trying hard to actually care for him. Like, are you hungry, boy? Like, he's, like, mm -hmm. being attentive to yeah. him. And Merlos begins to read Hardin's heart again. And he reveals a little bit about his past and some of why he seems to probably be doing this, why he's so concerned about Joshua, right? Yeah. So he says, it was during my days in the Peace Guard there was an investigation into an incident. I was part of a special team entrusted with delivering blades to rebels in neighboring kingdoms. Apparently, some did not reach their destination. So he was supposed to be we selling weapons to neighboring kingdoms for their civil wars. Yeah. This is something Rosencrantz touched on a little yep, bit. Yep. Okay, so he was part of a group doing that. So some of these weapons did not reach their destination, right? They claimed some of us were making coppers selling the, the steel on the black market. And then he goes, we were all guilty. I was not the only one. So he's yeah. kind of like justifying yeah, yeah. Him, his self a little, himself like, a little yeah, bit here. I definitely did that. So he did sell weapons that were bought by neighboring kingdoms. He took some of those stores and sold them on the black market. For and his they own. caught him doing this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, let's see. They presented me with an offer, betray my friends, and I would walk free. I had a brother, half my age, he was gravely ill, and we knew not when he would leave us. I wanted money, I wanted my freedom. I sold my friend, my brother. That was a little confusing to me. I don't think he's yeah. saying his brother. He's I saying should've... his friend was like a brother to him. I sold yeah, okay. my friend, my brother. I should have checked the Japanese yes. on that one because I, th I had that same thought where I was like, that's a strange line, which I have not yeah. had much this whole game. Yes, right. I very not often does this happen, but this was one of the moments where I was like, I, I should have looked in the Japanese. I, I think this is brother more in the sense of comrade, close sure. comrade. Because he does, not there is not familiar, an actual right. brother involved here, right? right? Yes. So that's part of, partly why it seems so confusing. Yeah. So I sold my friend, but they did not set me free. When I escaped from prison, my brother was dead. And so she then says in response to that, so you joined Mullen Camp to revenge this injustice done to you? 
the real version of Harden, you scry too deep, woman. Yeah, because she's speaking out loud, right? Yes. So he may not know exactly what she's been told, but he does know she's that she's talking to him again. In there somewhere, yeah. learning about his past. And so she says, this thing you do will not bring your brother back. He right. says, silence, what do you know? And she says, do not play the child. Do not blend your weakness on another. So she's really mm. calling him out here, which yeah. deserve, deservedly so. I mean, yes. It's funny that she's in a position to do that, though, yeah. to call him out, that she feels as though she's and in a position to do so that. So he calls her a witch, and he's about to strike her, but then he gets shot from across the room by one of Guildenstern's soldiers. Yep. And Guildenstern kind of comes up one of those levitating blocks at that time yeah. into the room. So it's like Guildenstern has caught up with them now. Um, so he's just got like a, a bolt like piercing his side right here and he's kind of like collapsed, right? But he's not dead. Mm. Um, and I love this because this is another example of the, um, the, the wordplay we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, Hardin says, quicker than a damned bloodhound. And Guildenstern responds, our dark hounds know your stench cultist. So yeah. it's an idea, again, mm. that uh, like an analogy or a metaphor or a simile that he uses. And then he uses the same, Guildenstern responds the with the back. same simile, but sort yeah. of like takes it in another direction. Uh, Pat Holloman in the comments um, basically uh, wrote a, a comment talking about how what the, this concept is called the conceit. Oh, and okay. like uh, traditional poetry, right? Sure. It's a literary device. Uh, a conceit uses an extended metaphor that compares two very dissimilar things. A conceit is often elaborate and controls a large section of a poem or the entire poem. Conceits are often quite unique and ingenious and can prevent striking juxtaposition and comparison of unlike things. Hmm. So in this case, he's not actually a bloodhound, but he's like a bloodhound. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So like that's what a conceit is. So um, this was actually really common, I talked about in Shakespeare, but in all poetry at the time, were these extended conceits where yeah. one person would bring up some metaphor and the other person would take that and run with it and they would kind of go back and forth like that. Well, that's right? a way to show wit or to be, yeah. you know, to be smart about your dialogue. Yeah. And, and just to show your intelligence just in general is how quick, how quick are you on your feet to be able to take some, your opponent's metaphor and use it against them. Right. Like right away. Like yeah. that takes some pretty, you know, fluid brainwaves there. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. And I mean, obviously it's not nearly as extensive here as in Shakespeare or something. Um, and uh, Alexander o. Smith actually talks about that in the yeah. interview. He's like, well, our wordplay isn't nearly as extensive as Shakespeare. It's right, not it's really just one back and forth. Because you, yeah. you can go back and forth several times. You can right. have a volley yeah. on the same metaphor with wordplay. Yeah. And then whoever wins the volley has the upper hand intellectually, right? Yeah, right. And like that, but that's hard. That's very difficult to do. Yeah, and sometimes maybe the entire poem would be made of just people playing off this one conceit. Yeah, right, back and yeah, forth. yeah, totally. But I really like it. Quicker than damned bloodhound. Yeah. Our dark hounds know your stench, cultist. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, <clears throat> okay. So then you have to fight two more bosses before you see the rest of this scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It breaks away from this scene. You go fight two more bosses, and then we come back to Harden and Guildenstern facing off. <laughs> Just crazy. Mm. Uh, so Guildenstern is demanding to know where the key is, right? Uh, that Harden's been talking about that they need, right? that they're searching the city for. He tries to use his power of the dark to compel Hardin. Um, 
Harden really doesn't know the answer, though, so he can't tell him. He's right. Like, I don't know. Sydney's purposefully kept him in the right. dark, which is smart. But Harden's also confused uh, by this power that Guildenstern is using because he says, um, you think, or he says that you're not drawing from the wellspring or something like that. Yeah. Guildenstern is not drawing from the city's wellspring. How can right. you use this magic? I don't get it. And he says there's other methods yeah. to he the magic. He says, you think the dark flows only within your city? You underestimate the cardinal. Right. So he <laughs> implicates that the church is, is the darkness yes. as well. It, yeah. It, this is classic JRPG. The exactly. church is always evil. Exactly. <laughs> um, but this was cool too. So Guildenstern creates a vision mm-hmm. where Sydney appears, but it, it's a trick because uh, Harden yeah, believes Sydney is like interfering with this. He believes yeah. Sydney is showing him this and talking to him, and that Sydney interfered with them. But it's really yeah. Guildenstern creating it to trick Harden into telling him more. Right. Which was a really nice. Uh, sort of creative way of using his magic, right? Yes. So, yeah. but Sydney approaches Harden there, um, and Harden begins unwittingly to reveal about what he knows about what's called the blood sin, right? Yeah. So he says uh, the blood sin is basically what the key is called. Um, only he who holds the blood sin can succeed to the dark city. The would-be successor must seed his phantom soul if he is to accept his prize control of the dark. These streets already teem with souls. All that is needed is the key. We have no time, the key, show it to me. So he's trying to get Sydney to show him where yeah. the key is or what the key is. He doesn't know what the key is, but he does know it's called the blood sin. Yeah. And he does know that uh, a phantom, what is it? what does he say? A phantom soul has to be uh, Basically, someone has to be sacrificed. Sacrificed. Yeah, in order for in the order thing f- to work, for the key for, to work. That yes. the keyhole is sacrifice. Yes, and then the keyhole key. sacrifice, and the key is a blood <laughs> sin. And yes. then that opens the door to the dark. Yeah. That's a good analogy. I like that. <laughs> um, and then this is where Guildenstern, like Sydney, kind of like a smile comes up, and then it just turns back into Guildenstern again. Yeah, and Harden is Harden's upset. Something tells me though that Harden was compelled, not just by the imagery, but that Harden wasn't in control, that Hardin was kind of, his heart was speaking yes. for his mind in that moment. Because right. the way that it's presented, it should have, or maybe I say it could have been obvious that that was Guildenstern and not Sydney, mm. right, who he was talking to. Because it was right then in that moment, and it just happened, yeah. and Sydney's like, so uh, about the key thing. Oh, yeah, and then he also... Remind me, yeah. what is the key? Is this and a it, test, yes, Sydney's like, yes, it's a test. Tell me what Harden you know. Harden falls into it he falls so... So immediately yeah, right. that I, I feel like there's um, I feel like Guildenstern is doing more than just e- evoking this dream. I feel like Sydney is also, or sorry, that Guildenstern is also uh, doing a little bit of heart reading as well, yeah. and and conversing with you know the the pure can cannot tell a lie version of Harden. Yeah, you know, and that Harden feels like he was taken advantage of with mm-hmm. that magic. Yep. And this is where Guildenstern puts together what the key is. Because he hears that term, blood sin. Right? Yeah. He's like, the blood sin, you say. It has a familiar ring to it. And then he looks up and sees the Kildean root on the ceiling. Yeah. And he says, years passed, during the inquisition of the heretics, the rude inverse was carved on them, an abjuration of the flesh. Those who bore this tattoo called it the blood sin. Good God, Sidney held the key all along, the tattoo on his back. It is the blood sin. He has the key. Mm. So this is when he puts it together. 
that symbol, this symbol right here, the inverse of that, the during inverse. the Inquisitions, they would tattoo the inverse yeah. onto heretics, mm. right? And so they called that symbol, the, the reverse symbol, the blood sin. Yeah. Um, and that is the key to the dark of Leomond is the tattoo that he's got on yeah. his back. He puts it all together here, which is super cool. It's like it's it been hiding cool. in plain sight the whole yes, time. Yes, it's been in plain sight. Yeah. Um, I wonder why Sidney chose to have his back open all the time. Yes. So that everyone could see that, mm. so that this could be figured out. Maybe it's so that it's, it's like a 4D chess thing. It's like <laughs> no one will expect that I would hide the key right in front of their faces. And that's, thing, that's right? probably true. The real reason is because of the game. Because so it that, looks cool. Because it, it makes an interesting <laughs> yes. you know, story and it looks cool and all that. But I do wonder, you know, from a practical standpoint, why Sydney is, wears such revealing clothing. Like yeah. his pants are all the way down. It's dude. way down. <laughs> He's a low-waisted, uh, way down, low-waisted pair of uh, trousers there. Yes, exactly. Um, I really like his design, though. Like oh, me his, too. his metal arms and claws. Oh, and dude, it reminds me of um, the design of Kadaj in Advent Children. Yeah, a little bit like yeah. that. Yeah. It's, he's got sort of that. Um, what would you call it? He's like real thin, am- ambiguous gender. Yeah, kind oh, of oh, look what, to what, him a little bit, similar to like Kadaj. There's a word and, for androgynous. That. Androgynous, yeah. yeah, a little bit of an androgynous kind of feel about him. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, he's he 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 presents very feminine and masculine attributes, like yeah. very much so. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating. He's cool. I, yeah. I really like. He's probably my favorite character in the game. Oh, me too. Sydney's a great character. Didn't start out that way. Didn't start out <laughs> that way, but it became it really became that way in the scene where he reveals Sydney's past, and then in the scene where Rosencrantz says. All of these groups want the power of the dark, and yeah. it was like, oh, Sydney's trying to stop these people from getting it. He's the real protagonist of the story. He's not trying to use the darkness for evil. He's trying to stop everyone from getting yeah. it, including his own cultist Molenkamp, including people, his own people, including Hardin. He's like trying to keep it from everybody. Yeah, and he's been lying to them this whole time about the key and all this thing. He's he's trying to keep the power of the dark out of the hands of everybody, which is really really cool. The way that that's all revealed. Yep. Um, and I also love the animation on the faces that they do in this game. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's limited animation. It's basically it's just limited. replacing a JPEG texture, texture on the face. So it's just like a like a moment. Yes. But it's it's good. It's I still like really it. great because when when Guildenstern realizes this, right, the, the camera's a little high, he kind of tilts his head up and just goes, his eyes just open. It's yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. It's yeah. He's had it the whole time. Yeah. And his face just, like, really sells the shock of that moment or like the, mm. the revelation of it, right? Yeah. This is the sort of thing you did not see during this era, the no. PlayStation era, like facial animation to like right. um, punctuate like a moment like that. And even on the N64, I can't remember any oh, game playing geez. on the N64 that had like facial animation like this. Like I remember the Zelda games, ma- maybe their eyes would open a little bit. Yeah. But like for the most part, you just didn't see this. No, and it was it, they used the same method, which was just replace the texture and then, you know, in yeah. a moment. Yeah. But which yeah. is kind of what we did on our Star, Star Wars Kart Mario video. Kart. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we did. We kind of just <laughs> we just used a, a different texture on right. the face as So whenever like they had to blink, we had a half eye closed frame, yeah. like a, a texture, and then we'd swap that out for the full eye close and then put it back up and yeah. then up, and then that was right. a blink, right? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like a two-frame animation. Yeah, super, yeah. super quick, but that's how they did it back then, and I guess yeah. that's still how they do it now. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I for, guess for farther away camera movements. If right. you, the camera's really close, they have know. facial capture now, right? Well, that's true, but I'm yeah. talking about Mario. Oh, I'm yes. pretty sure Mario, Mario. No, it's still just a texture. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, if we're talking about like Hellblade, okay, yeah, they actually got the 3D there. Right. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, oh, Har- uh, Gildenstern says to Harden, he has played you false, um, and and Harden says, no, I won't, and then uh, Gildenstern says. Gildenstern says, then why does Sidney not take the city? The Duke is in his file, final hours. Like, he's basically putting it together. Yeah. Like, the reason he hasn't used the key yeah, we've been is because he doesn't want to use the key. Yeah. And he's been leading his own Mullen Camp followers on this sort of endless chase for the key that yeah. he never intended to find, right? Yeah. Because he's trying to stop it. He's had the key the whole time, and he has not entered. So clearly he's just trying to prevent everyone from getting it. And uh, surely, surely he would not follow the Duke's wishes, says Harden. He's realizing the Duke and Sidney are, are actually... doing the same thing. Yes. Yeah, which is crazy, because Mullenkamp, like, are they the ones that torched the Duke's manor, or was that the yes. church? Yes, no, the Mullenkamp did. So that's crazy, right? Yes. So it's like... Do they like each other or not? And Sydney was there. Sydney yes. was like part of that. Right. So yeah, this part is um, a little bit confusing, but I think it's cleared up at the very end. But basically, Mullenkamp was pissed yeah. that the Duke decided to bury the city and yes. to get rid of the power of the dark, to close the wellspring. Yeah. They're like, we've been toiling here and working for this for two decades. Yeah. How can you just take this wellspring from us? Sydney, realizing that sentiment rising up, pretended to side so, with them against the so, Duke when really he was with the Duke all along. I have um, a couple parallels here, but that I will reveal mostly at the very end of the game. Uh, but one of them is, can be talked about now, which is the idea that at that the church, the people that attend the church are good people, yes. but the top of the church is corrupt. Yes. Molenkamp <laughs> is the other way. Opposite. <laughs> There's these torturous, rebellious, you know, bloodthirsty people who cultists. are just fighting the cultists, yeah. and they're being led about by this wholesome, good-hearted person <laughs> who's just trying to keep the evil out of their hands. Yep. I love it. It's I actually cool. think that's really good. Yeah. That plays to what I mentioned before: the duality of the of the the, the themes. Well, the duality of the universe, where it's like uh, you know, the good and evil are constantly in in you know fighting each other and at this level you see it manifest in both like both levels mm-hmm. right both at the people and at the top levels and that it's just not what you think it would be but that things seem to be the upside down inverse of each other yes. right which plays on the idea of the inverse root right yes. where it's like you it, you just can have it both ways well the game presents it in both ways but you've got to really like see it and then you'll know there, there's a really cool example of this in the end so i don't want to talk too much about it but but um, it calls a really back cool a little bit to mm-hmm. the conversation that Sydney had with Gildenstern in the last episode we talked about, I think. Or maybe, was it two or, I think it was the last one. Yeah. Where he was calling him basically, uh, well, he was talking about the church and how they yes. manipulate people and things yes. like that. And uh, they, they were using the analogy of shepherds and things right. like that. Right. But he's a shepherd. He says, your he's, church is the one that yeah, leads people around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's trying to do the opposite, but his followers yeah. <laughs> are 
what they want is not, you know, so he's but like... They, they need to do a switch, right? The heads yes. of the church need to he- lead Camp, <laughs> and then the heads of Camp need to lead they the need church. need to be paired correctly. And, and then you would have, you yeah. know, a perfect world. But somehow I feel like the game is implying that that's not possible. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, okay. So Guildenstern then stabs Harden, and Joshua sort of cries out for the first time. Yeah. He's out loud, no, kind of a thing, right? First time since he's been kidnapped. Um... Uh, right on the back of this, juxtaposed. I need some explaining on this one. Yes. I need help. I think we're going to finish this. Okay. Because we're almost to the end. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting pretty close. I think we're going to finish this today. So I'm, I have no problems now with okay. spoilers. Then, all right. So we're we'll just going to do this because I really want to talk about how cool this is. Okay. <laughs> right on the back of Joshua crying out, right, we see a scene where a boy who looks like Joshua yes. is in the Duke's Manor. The Duke's Manor, because you can see the, the woman's statue you yeah. saw at the very beginning of the game. Right. And then the Duke opens the door and the boy runs into his arms. Yes. So right that's the father-son. On son. the back of that, it shows Sydney. Yes. And so I believe this is without, this is the subtle way, not the later very explicit way. In which they reveal that Sidney is the son of Duke Bardorf. This is where I got that question. Yes. But then I started wondering who Josh is. <laughs> well, who's the actual son? Because based on that family portrait, yes. the Duke has one kid. The idea here is that Joshua and Sidney look very, very similar. And I can get that. I get And that. so the boy in the portrait is Sidney. At the time when Sidney was the only child. Sure. Later in life, Duke Bordoba had a second son, Joshua. Who is not depicted and he in, never in got... In that portrait. Yeah, okay, okay. Because that portrait was drawn years and years, years before. Past. Okay, fair but, enough. But Sidney looks like Joshua. Or when he was a boy, he looked like Joshua. And they gave him the same haircut. Right. And he dressed similarly. And maybe it's even hand-me-down clothes. I don't know. Maybe well, they were originally Sidney's clothes. I feel that they like gave it would be because I feel like Joshua is wearing those same clothes. They are he has the, the jewel yeah. thing on his right. um, like necklace. So that is the way that they sort of withheld that particular. I thought that twist of the story. I thought that. So that was a memory. He was so that particular that was an old memory scene of him running into yeah. his arms. That was Sidney as a boy running into the Duke's and that arms. was a memory that Sidney had. Yes. That was a thing that actually happened in yes. the past. That's not a figurative analogy. That's for the way something. I read it. Kay. Yes, because at, at first I was like, "Oh my gosh, did the Duke die?" Like, <laughs> because it's this. Uh, the the camera goes up and you see the light and the Duke is there and he's all happy and it just seems dreamy and almost like right. the Duke had died. That's what I wrote here. I was like, I, I feel like I should get it, but I don't. It seems like the Duke died. Is that what I'm supposed to get from this? Uh, but clearly, as the game goes on, that's not the case. Yeah. Um, and I did think that the kid was going to be Sydney, but then I'm like, but then, but then who's Joshua? Yeah. It just, I, I had trouble. Joshua that is connection. the youngest son. I, I would guess he has two sons. I kind of let this slip in our first episode. I didn't mean to say it. Oh yeah. So I tried to correct myself. I said Joshua is the youngest son of Duke Bardot, and I was like, oh, fetch. Or as the far youngest. as we as far as we know, the only son <laughs> of Duke Bardorba. <laughs> that may that maybe subtly was the reason why I actually did think of Sydney when I when I saw this scene. Yeah. Um, but Joshua, um, I did do some reading after playing the game about what exactly 
this means. Not that I was looking for this scene. No one ever explained this scene to me. Yeah. But I did. I did come to understand a little bit more about Joshua and Sydney, and at least in part, where the tension was between the Duke and Sydney was that Sydney felt like he should be able to use Joshua to continue or to um to transfer the blood sin to him. Oh, sure. Right? And the Duke didn't want that because yes. the Duke felt very pristine about his youngest son. Yeah. Or maybe the kid was too young or he's trying or something to absolve like his sins of like in like keeping this thing going anyways. Right. He so he wants it to just all end. Get right? out of his bloodline. But Sydney seems to know that this can't end somehow it will fall into the wrong hands. Yes. We need to keep it going, but we need to make sure who it gets passed on to Pass instead it. of just letting it be found yeah. by somebody. Pass it to a new bloodline and who, to someone who won't misuse it. Yes, to somebody who doesn't want it. Yes. Right? So if they want it, all they're disqualified right there. Yes, and there. right. Um, but the Duke seemed to have different ideas on that. that that's my understanding of this. Yeah. That there was a little bit of tension, and that's why Sidney literally had to kidnap his brother. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, that, that's correct. And it's also why the Duke in that first scene where we see him in, like, like ill in bed, he's questioning what Sidney is doing. He's like, he, yes, that fool exactly, uses exactly. wyvern and like yeah, all these what's things. Yeah, what's he doing? So what's he doing? They are on the same side, but Bardorba just doesn't understand yeah. what Sidney is up to or whether he's still with him because the way he's acting seems opposed. But the reason Sidney is doing that is yeah. so that his Molenkamp people will believe, right? <laughs> yes. believe that he's actually opposed when he's not. Right. So even, he tricked even the Duke, his actions. Yes. So he's playing he everybody. Because the Duke is who sent Rosencrantz yes. to go yes. check things out. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, that's crazy. This scene is interesting. Yes. And I did, I did sort of make that connection, but I kept thinking, no, that can't be it. That can't be yeah. it. So uh, when we come back to Sydney now, the, the present day Sydney, right? He sort of yeah. is, so, he's somewhere else, but he realizes Harden has been stabbed. Yep, yep, he and can feel like, it. He's like Harden, you know, so he feels badly. This is yeah. why I said earlier in an earlier episode that despite the fact that Sydney is manipulating Harden and mm -hmm. using him a little bit, yeah. he does actually care about Harden. He's not just yeah, like yeah. using him as a tool or he doesn't view him that way. Mm -hmm. He views him as a friend. He really means that when right. he says, we're friends, you and I, right? But... Anyways, this scene where he's alone and he's concerned yeah. shows that he actually does care about Harden. Right. right? So I like that. But touch. but there is a priority here. Yes. Which is the blood sin could destroy the whole world. Yes. <laughs> like I have friends and that's nice, but I can't let this fall into someone else's hands. Therefore, I'll do what it takes. I'll lie to my friends. I'll make sure that um, I can protect this thing, which is more important. Right. Right. So then Rosencrantz enters the room. Uh, to confront Sydney. Um, this is a really great scene. This scene is super awesome. Uh, yeah. Rosencrantz asks Sydney what his plan is for Ashley. Like, what is it that you're planning to do with him, right? Um, Sydney has chosen him, has chosen Ashley. This, he re this is where he reveals he's chosen Ashley to be the successor of the, of yeah. the, the power of the dark. Yeah. Um, Which Rosencrantz he's been suspected. Yeah, so he, he says, uh, uh, Sydney says, I've given up. There's no meaning in an incomplete death. Mm. I think this calls back to, which we won't get into now, but some of the philosophy that we've talked about in games like Lost Odyssey before about oh, eternal sure. life. 
and oh, like sure. how eventually it starts to feel like life is meaningless yeah. when you live forever kind of thing. I think he's feeling some of that here. He doesn't yeah. want to be immortal anymore. He's sick of it. It's almost like either way, <coughs> you would need there to be some heavenly ultimate destination either way, whether you're immortal or not. Yes. So if you're immortal forever, then you're just prolonging this nothing existence that is meaningless, unless there's a meaning. And then if you die, well, the, you need meaning for that too. <laughs> <laughs> so either way, it's like you need meaning. And it seems like Rosencrantz doesn't really like um, believe in the general sure. meaning of yeah. what the religious aspects of the way that this world works. And so he's kind of like... I, all there is is power. I just want the power. Right? right. That's the point. The point here is power. So that's what I want. Yeah. So he says, what are you ranting about? And uh, Sidney says, you don't understand. He is the perfect one to rule this city of darkness. He shows all the signs. He is ready. And Rosencrantz says, that weak-spirited vagrant? He has the unquestioning faith of a child in his morality. Exactly. And and that's the point, right? So Sydney says, See, Rosencrantz didn't get that. Better a pious child than an iniquitous rogue. Uh, unlike you, he would not misuse the dark. Mm. So, yeah. Rosencrantz. So that's Sydney's ultimate idea here is to not misuse the dark. Yeah. And he needs to choose yeah. somebody who he knows won't do that. Rosencrantz clearly is not that person. Clearly. So Rosencrantz punches him in the face and knocks him to the floor. And, and I love Sydney's response to that. Why try to harry me? When it is he who shamed you. <laughs> I know. He's like, he showed you up. He's the better vessel, not, yeah. not you. None so the, what, what did I do? Yeah. Nonetheless, you could not harm me. Yep, yep. Uh, Sidney tries to use his power, right? But then Rosencrantz is immune to that. Your powers hold no sway over me. Prepare yourself, Sidney. See, and that's crazy. I just don't get how Rosencrantz... I think it's just an emergent power of the city of Le Monde. He's just got one aspect of it that makes him... Immune to that particular thing. So he, he just... Thing. He just can resist that part of the power. That's interesting. And I, I would assume that's that that's an emergent power, just like everyone else is getting emergent powers from being in the city. Right. He just happened to get that one. I, I, find, I find it interesting that a power... Well, I guess that kind of does... No, that can kind of make sense, right? Like a power of the darkness is the darkness defending against its own darkness. Sure. Right? They're to resist its own power. I, I can get that through like some Final Fantasy things where you, you know, you'll have a shield that is magic and it's a shield. It's using magic and it's yeah. a shield, but it protects you from the other magic. Like, I can kind of get that. So it's possible. It seems a little off to me, but... Uh, then Ashley basically arrives and Rosencrantz like hides behind the door. Yeah. And he smacks him as soon as he walks in. And he's kind of. And like, I love hey. how he's like, see? See how dumb he is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just walked into a room and let me hit him. Like, you're so dumb, Sydney. It's another scrub quote, I feel. Because it's, like, <laughs> it's like he sucker punched him and it's like, I see, I'm stronger than him. Exactly. But exactly. before when they actually fought face-to-face, man-to-man, yeah. like in a fair I know. contest, he got owned by Ashley. So Clearly, yeah. It's totally a scrub quote thing to do. But it is, and especially the way Rosencrantz ends up going out is, is just great. I love it. It's so good. This is your successor. Open your eyes, Sydney. I am the one. Hardin is gone. Old man Bardorba's next. And Sydney, your time will soon come, I think. You'd give the city to the Cardinal's motley rabble? I think not. Not after the hardships I've endured. I'm sure you agree, Sydney. It is time. I will carry on the legacy in your name. Now the rights. Name me your successor. 
and Sydney says, I name you Worm as you crawl I love through that. the dust. I, that's so good. <laughs> it's so <laughs> hardcore. So <laughs> it's an awesome response. I you. name you dot, dot, dot. Worm. <laughs> so perfect. Beastly. Uh, then Rosencrantz cuts off his arm in response to that. And, and he says, then keep your immortality. Here, let me lighten your burden. Ah, <laughs> and he's laughing. And then Sydney just stands up and picks up the arm and just reattaches it. And this is like really disturbing to yeah, Rosencrantz. There's no like, blood. What the fetch? Yes. <laughs> and and um, Sydney says, I gave my limbs to the gods. Perhaps I'll add yours to the offering. And <laughs> this is where That's he starts awesome. to kind of gain the upper hand. In yeah. The, in the well, you can tell because Rosencrantz's laugh turns into a nervous laughter. Yeah. It becomes a ha, ha, wait, what? Right? He's yeah. super confused. What's what going on. is going on here? Um, so he, he, uh, he says, when, you, when will you learn that your power is useless against me? Right? He's mm. kind of boasting about that. Yeah. And then he looks down to his sword arm and sees that he's holding the limb, the arm of yeah. Sydney in his hand. And it scares him and he kind of drops it, but he drops yes. his sword. So right. it's, he throws it's an it, illusion. Yeah. yeah. Um, so obviously not all of the powers of the dark yes. can be It repelled. seems like he can't be attacked directly. Or like but mentally controlled or something. Sure. Yeah. But... You can play with his perceptions, right? Yes. You can play with the things around him. Yes. And that's that's how Sydney gains the upper hand. Yep. And then they kind of start circling each other a little bit. I really love these shots. All these shots are really cool. And like Sydney yeah. is like he's got that like uh, chin down, eyes up look, like the yes. really sinister look as he's yes. like you know talking to him. Um, let's see. Do not forget where you're standing, Rosencrantz. And he's like, you you deceived me. I've done nothing so base. You deceived yourself with a boy's daydreams. Fear not, sweet Rosencrantz. I will not kill you. And then Rosencrantz kind of backs into a statue that comes to life and yes. then just like cuts him down right The there. coolest statue, by the way. It's so <laughs> funny. I spent a, a while taking notes on the statue. Um, oh, nice. Because I didn't realize we were going to fight it. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, there's a statue here. Oh, my gosh. It's got four arms and two faces and one side's dark and the other side's light. And like, yeah. there's really cool symbolism here. This is awesome. And then, and then it becomes, you know, yeah. comes alive. And right. uh, I thought that was great. And it's a boss that you end up fighting. Yes. Right? And you end up getting a very good look. Mm-hmm. Very good look at her. Yeah. But once again, the duality, the left-right, two, two faces but one body, right? Yep. Four arms. Mm-hmm. So you see the two and one, right? There's two, there's one, but there are two aspects of the one. Yes. Um, and so as Sidney leaves the room, as he's going to allow you to battle against this, you know, monster. Yep. Um, he says, I give you the city risk breaker, all its power, all to you. Make haste, join me. Already your powers are close to readiness. Come. And, and Asher's like, keep your accursed city. Where's Merlos? <laughs> I know. He's just trying to save her. Where's Merlos? At this point, I don't care about any of this. Yeah, at this point, he's just trying to save her. He's yeah. not trying to do anything yep. special, anything else. Yeah, which is why he's ideal as the successor. Exactly, because right? he just wants to help people. And so Sydney says, you may be able to save them, your wife and child, should you meet them again, repent, Ashley, repent. This is a really interesting line. Yes. And again, it, there's so much to debate about like what the actual truth of Ashley's past is because he could be, it, it seems like he's contradicting himself here, but he could be lying now he's just to just, get him to keep chasing him. Which is what he's been doing. He's just like keeping yeah. the hunter heart chase going. It's so yeah, hard to, to tell what, what he's saying, yeah. <laughs> whether oh, what's true, what's not. Because yes. he's manipulating everyone. Up until the point that the event happens, he, I wouldn't really trust anything he says. Yeah. 
And I say that understanding that he is the protagonist of the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So after you kill that boss, Ashley then arrives at the cathedral. And so this is basically where the final dungeon in, it, it is. And it's very, 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 very long. Do you yeah. fight a metric F ton of bosses? Yes, a lot, a lot. <laughs> so many. Um, yeah. There's like so many puzzles in this place. It's a really long final dungeon. Um, but as you're going through there, eventually Ashley hears Merlos kind of calling to him again for help, right? Yeah. And he, he kind of pieces together, oh, she's up above me. She's on a yeah, higher yeah. floor. I need to go up. Um, then we see Sydney approaching Guildenstern for like their final sort of like face-off, right? So Guildenstern has Merlos and Joshua and a mortally wounded Harden kind of there on the floor. He's got them. And so Sydney kind of comes in at this point. And um, great dialogue back and forth here between him and Guildenstern, but also Harden realizing that he's been lied to the whole time and Sydney revealing that. Yeah. It's all in the scene and it's really good. Yep. So that's the first thing Guildenstern does. Like tell, basically tell your, uh, your pawn here about yes. like the fact you've been lying yeah, to Yeah, exactly. Him, right? Go tell him why you lied. Yep. And so Sydney, or, or, or Harden's like, please tell me it's not true. Is, is it true? Yeah. And Sydney asks for his forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Right, and, and that's when Harden's like, oh no, he was lying. Now, I was surprised Harden was still alive yeah. for this scene. So. Yeah. He was stabbed yeah. in the chest, and he's got yes. a bolt wound and in his side. he got crossbowed. But somehow he's still alive. Oh, and he's, he's not just alive, as we'll see later. He is very physically capable still. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> very much so. He stabbed his own leg, and he was yes. limping in that yes, scene. Yes, that's right. Then he got shot with a bolt, and then he got stabbed. Now... I mean, we can kind of write this off as the this dark is Leia Mond. Yeah, There's yeah. magic here. Maybe yeah. something's keeping what, him alive. What's the Chinatown line? Um, oh, what do they say? It's it's Leia Mond, You know, forget about it. It's <laughs> Leia Mond, right? Yeah. This is like what happens in Leia Mond stays in Leia Mond. Yeah. And as soon as he leaves the city is when he succumbs. He dies. Yeah, right? that's actually a fair point. So yeah, yeah. maybe it's something to do with being in the city is keeping him yeah. alive. That's kind of the way I see that. Um, so Sydney turns to... Uh, Guildenstern. He says, you really want to become a martyr for your full religion. And he says, not religion, Sydney, revolution. A fresh wind to blow away the disease of the land. For our realm is sick. It uh, superates with profiteers. Suppurate. Fawning merchants licking the boots of the nobility. They do nothing and blame others for their failure. They steal men's dreams and twist them to nightmares. We must cleanse this corruption. There must be strong, unwavering justice, and there must be fear to enforce that justice. So, Guildenstern is fighting for something seemingly noble, but yeah. he wants to take the kind of totalitarian exactly. He wants to become to a dictator and he force. He wants to make it happen. Yep, his worldview. Yeah. Yep. Um. Uh, so Sydney says, "It's a wretched rule that does not value human life." And uh, Guildenstern says in response to that, the world does not want a savior. These wretches leading lives of misery do not need salvation. The rotting branch must be pruned. And I love, I love Sidney's response here. A tyrant always dies alone, Guildenstern. Surrounded by silver-tongued leeches, he is utterly alone. He sows sorrow and reaps death. Great response. That is, that is so true. <laughs> I, I love especially that line, surrounded by silver-tongued leeches. They'll tell you everything yeah, yeah. you want to hear, yeah. but you're actually alone. You don't have any genuine relationship oh, with I, anyone. I heard that um, 
description of uh, Joseph Stalin recently. Yes. That he basically, everyone around him lied to him. Yeah. And like, yeah, he rose the ranks, he got to the top of power, but his reward for being at that place was that he, everyone always lied to him all the time about yeah. everything. That's exactly what and happened. And that was his life. He had no friends. Dictators, that's what's happening. Yep. Yeah. and then you just kill people. And that's your whole job is just killing lots of people. And you end up utterly alone. Yep. Is it, um, is it Stalin or Mao Zedong or possibly both that were likely poisoned by their um, wife? I feel like Mao Zedong may have been poisoned by his wife, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I don't that's know crazy. the answer, but like... That's the kind of no thing one that knows. happens to no you, one knows. When you when you do this. But exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, uh, Delita in Final <laughs> Fantasy Tactics yes, gets yes. stabbed by his own wife. I know, because she's like, all you do is kill people. You're a bad person. <laughs> yes. As yeah, if you, you choose the tyrant's path, that's what happens. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, so Guildenstern's response, I also like. This farce is over. I will have my answer. And uh, Sydney says, "What? Uh, and if I say no, Guildenstern... I will hew my retribution from your flesh like your pawn here. Great. I just love the, the dialogue, dude. The, yeah. the language is so cool. You you get a, a mental image of what is going to happen mm -hmm. based on that, but you don't... I didn't really... I didn't know how to take it yeah. right then because I was like, no, he's not really going to just like <laughs> cut his skin off and, and wear his skin. Like That's crazy, <laughs> right? That's freaking insane. Nope, um, that's exactly what he did. That's exactly do. <laughs> what he did. And I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, that is so hard. Like, that's <laughs> hardcore, but like, hardcore. that's so serious. That is so crazy. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, I, my thoughts went there at first, but yeah. I was like, no, he'll do a thing. There's, there's going to be like a thing that he does. Yeah. But then you also see Sydney with like, the skin missing from his yep. back. He, he literally oh, cuts, gosh. he flays yeah. the tattoo off of his back and puts that's it on so, his own back. That's so bad. <laughs> it's so, that's so it's bad. It's so crazy, dude. Oh my gosh. Uh, Merlos oh. cuts in here. If the soul is not true and fast, the rites are meaningless. It will lead to disaster. And then we hear Samantha, who I didn't realize was even in the scene here. She then kind of cuts in. She's like, Sydney! And Sydney uses her in that moment as a distraction, kind of like throws her against the wall with right. magic, right? Because Guildenstern would then go to her. Yeah, and so he then he turns around really quickly to try to transport Harden and Merlos and Joshua to safety. Mm -hmm. right? um, but Harden kind of stops him for a second. Wait, you sought the help of the Duke, your father. This is where he explicitly ties Sydney to being yeah. the Duke's son. And he doesn't respond, he just warps him away, right? So yes, he had yes. been... Help, uh, helping and sought the help of his father. They were working together all along. Um, and then he kind of warps him somewhere safe, right? So then Guildenstern stabs Sidney and then flays the blood sin from his back. He says, I, perhaps I cannot kill you, immortal, but yep. I shall have your blood sin as my trophy. Oh, it's <laughs> so bad. Hardcore, dude. My gosh. <laughs> and then when you see him later on with it. on a pool of blood oh, beneath Yes. Him. <laughs> oh, man. So after fighting another boss, Ashley finally makes it to the top floor where Sydney is lying in a pool of his own blood. Yep. Surrounded by all the candles and yep. then the, um, the, rude. the rude. Yeah, is on the floor. Which, by there. the way, rude means crucifix. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't mention this in episode one. I didn't <laughs> But know the that. word rude means cross. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it is, it is from ancient Latin. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So uh, Ashley sort of like tenderly approaches him, maybe like holding his head a little bit as he's yeah, like yeah. lying there with a flayed back and, and blood Sydney's all over like, the place. Ah, oh, you're a minute too late. <laughs> yeah, 
You yeah. just missed it. So Sydney reveals that he teleported Merlos to safety because that's all Ashley cares about. Right. Like, where's Merlos? Where's Merlos? She's Just safe. don't worry. Yeah. She's safe now. All right. And then Ashley sees the ghost of the boy that uh, Merlos was seeing earlier. Yeah. Now, this is where it becomes known that this is the inner thoughts of Sydney. Yes, but I just, I, 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 I kind of like that they did it. Yes. Because it's a good way to do it. Yes. I think it's a very creative, very cool way to do it. Yes. But I don't, I don't like that they did it. Yes. But I like how they did it. <laughs> <laughs> because everyone else speaks from their normal self. Like, how, why, why does Sydney? Oh, inner why thoughts, does it, why, why does his inner child, thoughts represented by the adult Sydney? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I see what you mean. Now, I do like how they did it in the sense that it's very creative and it was very cool and it does get you the idea that of who he is. But I don't like that they did it at all because unless they had done something like that previously with other characters as well, yeah, um, it just didn't feel right for everyone to be their per- current self but for Sydney to be a, a child. I think I like it um, not only because it's used in this sort of, I think, brilliant way in which they hide the identity of Sidney as Bardora's son. Yeah. And, but they reveal it in a really cool way that I like. But also that, like, I think each individual can be represented differently in their inner thoughts. So Sidney is more a child at heart in a sense, right? Like, he's doing this because of his love of his father. Everything mm-hmm. is driven because the boy who loved his father and the father who wasn't really right. a good father to him. Yes, And he wants clearly. his... He wants his approval. Yeah. Ultimately, that's like at the heart of Sidney's character. So there's an aspect right. of his inner self that I think is really well represented as a boy because that's yes. what his motivation is. I agree. Whereas Hardin, you know, does not necessarily have that same thing. He's sort of tortured by what he did as a man, right? Sure. Uh, so and that's more or less true of Ashley as well. Yeah, so their inner selves are displayed or, or, or represented differently in ways that I think make sense. Okay. Um, so anyways, he's seeing the boy, the boy version of Sydney, and that's, uh, he's, he's that seer power that, uh, yeah. and this shows that Merlos oh, was I also have... seeing Sydney's inner yes. child when, when she saw him earlier saying he intends to die. Yes, which I, I made that connection too, but he says he intends to die. Yeah, that's, but no, I agree. no. Japanese though. Oh. In the Japanese, the um, subject would have likely been omitted. Yeah, right? because it so can be he would ambiguous. have said death is death was it death is intended. The intent is death. Is likely I don't know, but typically in Japanese they don't say kare wa kare. They don't say who like he. Kare means he. I doubt that they said the word he in that sentence. That's a good point. Because in Japanese you would infer that. You don't need it. But then when you translate a game like that to English, you get this weird situation where it's like, oh, but he said that shouldn't, he shouldn't have said it that way. Right. But English is a different language. And in the Japanese you likely would have gotten that just fine. There wouldn't be an issue. That's a really interesting point. I didn't think of that until just now. (laughs) The language itself could be used to still obscure yes. who, who the he's boy referring is to. and who he's referring to. Oh, who intends to. to die? Well, obviously in, J- in playing the game, it's like, oh, Ashley intends to die. Or, um, Sydney. Sydney intends to die. Okay, yeah. we'll keep playing, right? And then it's actually a cool moment where it's like, no, he was referring to Him, himself. himself. He's yeah. going to die. Well, it is Sydney, but it's him. It's him. That's but cool. But it's not as cool of a moment in the English. But um, 
I don't see how you could do it any other way. Because yeah, it would have given it away if he right. said, I intend to die. Yeah. So I actually don't fault the way the English translation is there. It's just, um, that's how the two languages work. It's just work. how they differ. Yeah. It's unfortunate. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. I actually really like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so Sydney is sort of realizing this, right? Oh, oh sorry. What the, what the boy version of Sydney says is, I wanted to help father. This city was his only hope. And so Sydney is realizing Ashley is seeing his inner self. He's like, oh, you can see, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the boy says again, I wanted to help father as he helped me when I was born. I don't know what he means by When that. I was, like, like he was my dad? Yeah, but I wonder, like, I feel like there's something else. Yeah, that they didn't well, share there. What are the odds that Sydney? Ah, it doesn't make sense. Was Sydney adopted? Or like a bastard or something? Or, yeah, know. or illegitimate. That would be something. I don't know. I don't but know. Th- they don't this, get into This that. does seem to be implying something like that. unusual. Like, not just, oh, he's my dad. I'm so glad. Because you would say, oh, I'm grateful to my mother for being yes. born. Not The dad doesn't really do much right. <laughs> as far as being born goes. So there, w- there must have been something else. Um, he helped me when I was there. born. Now, he helped that theory doesn't work, him being a bastard son. Yeah. If... Joshua looks just like him. <laughs> you would think. Yeah, well, it they was both the take same. after their father. Well, uh, that's still highly unlikely. Anyways. Very unlikely. Very. Unlikely. So it's not like yeah. it's more unlikely. But anyway, I don't know that they would look the same. Yeah. Right. But it maybe would be more likely if at least the mother and father were the same. <laughs> at than least if the mother was different. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I don't know. Anyway. Interesting. Yeah. There's something there. Uh, then older Sydney begins taking on from there. He begins like finishing the statement of the younger boy, right? Yeah. Uh, he wanted the city destroyed, even if it meant his own death. Then he implored me, do not let them use it, the power. Stop him. Stop Guildenstern. So the Duke was telling Sydney, don't let these people use the power of the dark. Now, he's t- now Sydney is telling Ashley, go stop Guildenstern because he's about to do that. He's like on the verge of doing that right now. Please stop him. Yeah. So, um, uh, kill him. Uh, you must stop him. Kill him before the dark sucks his living soul dry. And Ashley says, where is he? And Sydney just points, yep. like, up to the roof. And he says, Ashley, I, I'm... He doesn't finish that. And then Ashley just says, I know. And it just kind of cuts away. Um, so Ashley heads to the rooftop to kill Guildenstern, but, but Guildenstern sacrifices Samantha's soul as that the was, phantom soul. That was crazy. Yeah. Now this is another. Power. This is another. Um, well, I'll I'll bring it up later because there's no way I'll forget. Yeah. Uh, but that's wild, right? Because you just see them hugging, and then sh- and then because the the sound design in in an older game like this is it's good for its time, but you don't really know what's going on, right? Right. So she's she's saying like she's just confused as to what's going on, and then the camera cuts back and you see the knife yeah. in her belly. You didn't really. I didn't know that he had stabbed her at least yeah. initially. And then it's like, holy cow, because you knew how much, this is so interesting. This goes back to what Sydney had said in our last podcast episode, where Sydney was like, Samantha, you fool, you think you're in love, you have mm-hmm. no idea what you're doing. Yep. And that's because Sydney can read Guildenstern's heart. Yes. And Guildenstern is not worried about Samantha. Like, he may like her, you yes. know, and he may even love her in some way, but his heart is all about owning the city and the yep. power of the darkness. Whereas when he would read Samantha's heart, it was all about him. It was his, all about Guildenstern. His cause is more yeah. important to him than yes. per, any other than person. Her. 
Whereas Samantha, it was a romantic, we're in this together kind of yep. thing. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm so excited. Let's go fight the world together. You know, that was her mm -hmm. her mind. Um, and then in this moment, it's it's made painfully obvious that yep. he's like, yeah, you you were fun, you were cool, but I'm going to become God now. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I can't pass it up. So, and I'm not going to kill myself. This is a big theme, I think, here as to what ends up happening with Guildenstern. He is not willing to sacrifice himself. Yes. He only is willing to sacrifice others. Mm -hmm. And that, well, it doesn't end well for him, right? Yeah. Whereas Sidney was always going about on this self-sacrificial... Yeah. He intends to die yes. right from the beginning. Early on, we knew that. Like, Sidney is, is willing to give his own life for yeah. whatever he's doing, right? Yeah. And that means that he truly believes it. Whereas Guildenstern is like, he's just playing a game. He's just trying to win the game. Yeah. You know, he's just trying to get the most power. Yeah. And that was what Rosencrantz was trying to do too. Mm -hmm. It's exactly. the same game, you know? I love how you get a really good uh, view here even with the PlayStation 1 graphics, that the, yeah. the, the root inverse, is, the blood sin is just plastered. The skin I know, you can see the edges. Like the difference in tone between Sydney's skin and Guildenstern's skin. but you can tell. And it's just like, oh my gosh. It's so, so bad. It's crazy, so gross. Dude. It's so bad. And uh, oh. Samantha says, my love, why? And, and Guildenstern says, forgive me, Samantha. I need your soul. Our cause needs a martyr. And she says, your cause there's no place for me for our dream. And he says, I love you, Samantha, as God is my witness. I thought this was really interesting hmm. because Guildenstern seems to be a very sincere person. Yeah. But it was just like Sidney said earlier, mm. this, this path, this tyrant's path, mm -hmm. will lead you to being utterly alone. You kill the people you're closest to. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening here. So maybe in some way, some warped way, He's telling the truth, or he's being sincere when he says that. Yeah. But it's not genuine, because if you really love someone, you're not going to do that to them. Right. But he had some level of care for her, and he does feel sure. sorry he has to, has to do this. <laughs> <laughs> right? Every dictator, is, it's just like, a, what do you call it? It's a relationship of, like, a don't, don't make me do this kind yes, of thing. Yes, right. Right, like a, an, ab an abusive relationship where it's like... He feels like he has to do it where he doesn't. And so, like, I love the, I love her response, though, because it puts it all in perspective. Mm -hmm. So you get that sentiment from him when he says, I love you, Samantha, as God is my witness. And she says, I, too, once thought so. Yes, yes. And then she kind of falls. I love that. Down. That's so good. Because that shows that their bond is severed. That they're, yeah. That before she died, she fell out of love with him, yeah. which makes perfect sense given the situation, but it's actually really powerful. Yeah. It's actually really powerful that um, the way that she dies and in, in her final moment, she turns away from him yeah. and that that's, that's how she leaves. That's how her soul leaves. Mm -hmm. Really, really good. She falls and then this is the moment that Ashley comes onto the roof, calls out, Guildenstern. And, and Guildenstern says, come, Risk Breaker, your death will be my rebirth. And then he gets, like, shocked by that purple lightning. Yep. Just like, That's a, the dark is in Yeah, him. so he's getting, like, tons of power. Also, did you notice the sword he's wielding? Yes! It's a... It's, it's, it's this, a rude. Yeah. It's the rude. It's that sword. Yes. That's the sword he's, he's fighting you with. Now, I had some musings on this symbol because I don't know what it really means. But my thinking was that you've got, like, two bones that mean death. Mm. Right? And then at the end of each bone is a thorny rose. 
right? So oh. you have four thorny roses, and the sword is stabbing at the importance of the um, the rood going upwards. Is that you conquer death in an, in an ascension, right? Upwards, ah. right? And that you can conquer death and move upwards. But the rood inverse is the opposite. Is is going downwards, down to Dying. hell, right? Yeah. yeah. Now. And then the thorny rose represents the duality of life, the thorns and then the beauty, right? That but could be that was my I don't I I looked online. I, nobody I like nobody has interpreted this that, that I could find. Means, yeah. And no, it, it just in general at all. Like what does this symbol mean? And so that's what I think it that's what I think it means. But as soon as he comes out there wielding it and it's just this clunky it like I thought it was cool that he had it, yeah. but it just looks like a wooden yeah, just like, like a, one, a, cross. a single tone. Yeah, I was hoping it would be like Elaborate. like the, the the a sheath that the sword is still just a sword. That this isn't all part of the sword, you know. Yeah. It's part of the symbol, but the sword is separate, you know. So when he comes wielding the whole thing as though it's one big thing, I didn't love that because it messed with my unofficial interpretation of what that <laughs> symbol means. <laughs> oh, which by the way, I, I got to throw this out one more. Um, remember when I mentioned down in the wine cellar there were some designs on the wall that looked like roots. Yes. I do still think that the root symbolism is 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 a possibility there. Yeah. But upon further inspection, I actually think that they're thorns, not oh, roots. Okay. And because you get the curve and then the straight and then the curve and it seems like there's thorns. I feel like that's what led me to the rose, the thorny rose. Oh, right. Um, idea of the symbol because um, they're doing this weird thing where they like curve around each other and then make almost a heart shape, mm. right? But but it, I feel like they're thorns, which represent what sin and death. I think is what yeah. thorns tend to represent. But there's no rose right down there. Now I don't know what that means for the game. The root symbolism seemed to work a little bit better, uh, but I think I actually think they're thorns. So well, I really like. The, especially that you use the word ascension, right? That the sword is cutting yes. through death. That's and why ascension. it's important that it's pointing upwards. Because his, his yeah. last thing he says there before you fight him is, um, uh, where was it? Oh, okay. Come, risk breaker, your death will be my rebirth. Come help celebrate my ascension. There you go. There you go. Says. As he's holding the sword, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's not inverse, it's up. Yeah. I mean, he's got the inverse on his back, but he's holding it as a sword. So he's ascending to yeah. his immortality. And the idea is to conquer death. Yeah, to yeah. kill death. Yeah. Right? So you stab it, but you that stab is, it upwards. That, I love that, actually. I th- I, I'm, I'm accepting that as my headcanon. Sweet. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so after you beat him in that form, yeah. uh, he actually drops that sword like down the castle or whatever. Yep. It like, falls off the edge. Um, and Ashley then sees this really trippy vision. He's like in a, in a, like a field of white. There's just whiteness everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And he's hearing kind of his own voice saying, forget that which pains you. You cannot reclaim what is lost to time. Let it go. There's only regret here. What difference does it make? Whether you lost a wife or child or killed an innocent family, you cannot bring back the dead. Like either way, like you can't do anything about it. Right, just it's the past, it. yeah. Let it go. Then we see like Guildenstern. Obviously this is an abstract not the real Guildenstern, but some abstract representation in his mind happening. Right. He says, your hands are tainted with blood. Truth or not, your sins are eternal. Release the past, look to the future, join us, Ashley. So this is the dark kind of talking to him, right? Because the dark, Guildenstern tried to accept it, but now the power's actually being passed to Ashley. Yes, it seems, yeah. Right, and so like Ashley is sort of 
conversing with the dark in the yeah. scene, is at least the way I read it. Sure, yeah. Um, so, come home, there is no growth without birth, uh, without a foothold in the past, we cannot walk toward the future. And Ashley then says to that representation of himself, get thee gone, darkness. And it's then that he appears. Which is what Jesus says, get thee hence, yeah, Satan, right? right? It's almost, he could have translated it that exact way. <laughs> he then appears back in the field again with the tree. And his son runs to him. And he, and he apologizes to him. Marco is the, the boy's name, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. It must have been lonely here, I think he says. And then Marco says, no, I'm brave. I'm brave like my yeah, papa, yeah. right? And then Ashley calls to his wife by name for the first Tia, time. Right? Tia is her name calls to her by name for the first time, and she says, Welcome home, Ashley. You've done all you could for us. It was a short time, but I knew happiness with you. You gave me a lifetime's worth of love. And Marco says, Don't cry, Papa. I'm not crying, see? And, and Ashley's that like, was guy, oh, I like that line. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. And then Ashley's like, But this, you know, he's really struggling. And his wife lifts a finger to his lips. Like, don't be misled by others' words. Believe your heart. I love you, Ashley. And then they sort of disappear in this sparkling particle effect. Mm -hmm. So this is leaving this ambiguous. What actually happened in the past yeah. is left ambiguous, and people can kind of, you know, debate what what they believe mm -hmm. about it. Based on the fact that like Sydney could be lying either way, and it seems like mm -hmm. in either, like he's, he sort of implies one you and then just, the other. You have to rule him out. Almost. It's hard to trust what he says. Yeah. Uh, I, I find it hard to believe that Rosencrantz was lying. Yeah, that I would be weird. I find it really hard to believe that, that Rosencrantz was lying. And Rosencrantz seems to have, even before, well, because the, the skills that you have, seem Leomond seems to, Enhance the skills you already have, yes. right? Initially, right when you yes. enter into it, um, which is why Merlot's isn't just like this beastly fighter, you know, <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Rosencrantz seems to have some innate resistance to magic, you know, to yeah. magic in general, affecting his mind and all of that kind of stuff. He seems to see clearly and think clearly, um, even when everyone around him isn't and can't. Um, so whatever he says is likely a correct recollection, recollection of events? Except for when he's obviously lying. Like when he's telling yeah. him, oh, the VKP sent me to like help you. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, a risk breaker. Cl yeah. Clearly that wasn't true. But right. like, why would he lie when he's saying being that. Ashley's partner in this? Yes. Like why would he implicate himself and lie about that? Right. It's, it, it just doesn't seem like something to lie Because about. it seems like he really does hold a grudge against... Ashley. Yeah, right. And so it's like, well, that explains it. You yeah. know, that explains it. And once again, he lost his job again to Ashley yes. here in Leamont. Right. And that just, it, he, he loses more. everything to <laughs> Ashley. And then he tries to be the, what'd you call it? He tries to be the bearer of the blood sin. And then, but, but it ends up being Ashley again. And yes. it, it's so funny. It's just at every point in his life, he, where Ashley's here and just keeps stepping on him yeah. so he clearly has this grudge and that seems to be a reasonable explanation for it so yeah. it's like fair enough yeah i think it's probably right the way the, i guess the way that i choose to read this is that ashley was the rogue fallen jackal yeah. knight who killed an innocent family it wasn't actually his wife and son yeah but that in here his current state <laughs> here he is dealing with the replaced memory he's like yeah. coming to terms with that pain sure 
mm. and like ex and sort of like moving on from that. Well, there wouldn't be any other way for him to deal with them as an abstract family that he murdered. Yes. Like, if if he can think of them in terms of being his family, that gives um, like names. Yes. And personalities and yes. that kind of stuff that he can attach to it. Whether they're real or made up, it doesn't matter. And then, um, whereas, if it's just, oh, you killed this family, in his real memory, what likely, probably likely, maybe happened, um, he wouldn't have that. He, it would be harder for him to be able to, to resurrect them for a few moments to, ha to make peace with them before dying if he didn't have the names and you know, the personalities to go with it, right. right? So even though they may have been created, they still represent that family that he yeah. killed. Uh, it just in an abstract way of being his, his wife and, and son. Well, and you know, it, this kind of goes to the whole concept of your own perception is your reality, right? Like we talked mm. about this a lot in the Hellblade. Um, oh yeah, yeah. In the Hellblade podcast. It's like the way that you perceive things, the way that you remember things. We talked a lot about memory in last earlier episode. In, the, in, the, yeah. in the podcast. No, two episodes ago. Right? Like, yeah. Ashley still has these memories. Whether yeah. they're fake or implanted by the VKP or not, he has them. And oh, they're irrelevant. Part, they're it's a part irrelevant. of his memory. Yes. They're yeah. a part of his perception of reality. Yeah. And he has to deal with that. Exactly. He has to move past this. He has yeah. to work through the pain of that. And he still feels like he had a wife and son that were murdered, right? Yeah. Like he still has to resolve that conflict internally, yes. whether it actually happened that way or not. Yeah. And so I see this scene I as agree. being more I of agree. that than it being like a confirmation that that was really right. the truth of what happened. In some ways, I'd say the only the, the best argument that I can think of right now that that was his wife and kid is that that makes it smoother, that makes it simpler. Yeah. That where you don't have to use like deep psychoanalytics, to, like we just did to explain <laughs> what that scene possibly could otherwise have meant in yeah. some other way that maybe makes more sense story-wise, but that the easier, like the who is it, who is it, Occam, Occam's Razor yeah. would say that well, this is just that was his wife and that was his son, um, but that just doesn't seem plausible in this in this situation. Yeah. So despite that being a more simple explanation. I think the more complex one actually addresses it properly. Yeah, that's the way I see it. Anyways, I'll be looking forward to seeing what people say in the comments. I agree. Uh, he's pulled away from this vision by a voice that says, "Come home, Ashley Riot. Your story is not yet finished because you have to do boss fight part two. Because <laughs> it's a video game, and every game, well, particularly, you can never just beat the boss once. Particularly JRPGs. There's oh my gosh, Never just absolutely. one phase of the boss. Dude, final form. You gotta, form. you gotta get all the way through all the forms. This final form is a tough part of the fight too. Is this the one with all the triangles, the stars around yep. the head? Yeah, and the angel looking thing. Like the angel looking That's thing. pretty cool he has design. That move where like that's a really cool design. Yeah, is that move where he'll like fly down and just like yes. nuke the stage and if you don't like do the what do you call it the defense art like with the oh, right timing yes. you can like get That's, one shot that timing is yeah. I don't know if it's because of the emulator or not but <laughs> anyways timing I don't it, it's it, hard it's really hard it's, really, it's hard. really hard the timing thing I had I always had difficulty with but I wonder if it would have been easier if I actually played it on an actual PS1 yeah there there are ways to sort of um, play with it a little bit because every yeah. time you pull up like your menu Right, it sort of pauses the game. Yeah. So like you can pause oh, until he's like heard, right yes. there. Yes. And then like, I know that and then you can yeah. like, yeah. Anyway, so there are ways to sort of like yes. manipulate it, but it's still a really hard fight. Um, anyways, after you beat that form, uh, the the city begins to 
crumble in an earthquake. Yeah. It's all collapsing. Um, we see uh, Hardin and Joshua and Merlos escaping through the wine cellar. This is what you were referring to, where yep. Hardin is like he's carrying, just beasting him in. He's carrying like as Joshua if, with him. Yeah, as if he had not been stabbed. Yep. Um, so they're getting out, and then uh, we see Tigger and Nisa, and uh, Tigger is imploring her to run away and tell people what happened, right? Mm. Um, and he stays behind to fight now the fully zombied Grissom. Yeah. And then the last line is, well, this shall make a fitting tomb for us both. Yeah. <laughs> he says, now the slowest dance, partner. Tis a fine tomb we shall have. Yes. Which is pretty hardcore. That's or that cool. we shall share. Fine tomb that we shall share, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we see Ashley attempting to carry Sydney out of the city. He's he's like carrying him yes. with him, right? Um, and he and I love how the camera pans behind him. He's got like a very newly tattooed, new, very newly carved yes, root inverse in, on his back. In um, Ashley, yeah, Ashley's. Yeah, back. we have that now. It's like you know when you yeah. first get a tattoo, the, the, there's some bleeding and yeah. it's like red and irritated, it's irritated, and, yeah, and inflamed, and that's what the, it looks like. It's like newly yeah. tattooed or carved into or his carved, back. yeah. Um, but he's trying to carry Ashley out, but it looks like everything's crumbling and he's not going to get away. And so then it cuts back to Merlos outside the city as Dawn is approaching, and she's accepting that, you know, he didn't get out in time. Gods be with you, Riot. Yeah. And then Joshua tugs her to come over to where Hardin's at. He's, he's dying now. Yeah. And Joshua speaks for the first time. No, Hardin, don't, don't go, you know, stay. Um, and, and he says, you speak at last. The terror, I am sorry. So he's apologizing to Joshua for, for really putting through. For freaking him out. <laughs> yeah. And then he sort of disappears with the slow particles. Yeah. Right? Like his yep. body doesn't stay He doesn't behind. become a zombie. Yeah. Well, he's out of Leomond, and the magic That's of Leomond is kind of different after yeah. that point. So. Um, and then, you know, Joshua runs to her, and she embraces him, and... As day breaks, it's a beautiful shot. Yeah, of the, of the city in the background. As my note here, dawn rises over the newly cleansed town, signifying yeah. a new beginning and hope for the future. Yeah, really cool shot. Yeah, it's beautiful. And then the final scene of the game, we cut to Duke Bardorba's secondary residence, where he was earlier in the game, where yeah. he was lying in bed. Right, Greylands. One week later, so this is a week out. You see, Ashley. I'm a. I'm a little bit confused by this. I don't know if I quite have this right. So I'm sure Rob or somebody else will correct me in the comments. <laughs> Ashley in his risk breaker garb. So the one he's been wearing the whole game, the like the the, the assless chaps the that weird, he wears. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the very interesting clothing, yeah. Um, you know, that that he wears. You see him walk in Mm-hmm. But then the camera sort of obscures him as he approaches the bed. And yeah. then when Duke Bardorba speaks, he says, well met, Sydney," And then it reveals that it's Sydney standing there. Yeah. And, so, and there's a little bit of a magical sound effect that they use for right. like almost like a transformation kind of sound. <laughs> and they use that again after this when he transforms, transforms into Merlos for a second. Same okay. sound effect. Right. So what it, this, I feel, clearly insinuates is that Ashley is pretending or is disguised as Sydney. Okay, so don't worry. I was confused at the time of recording this, but as Kason and I discuss this and work through what happens, I realize 
what really happened here. This is not Ashley disguising himself as Sidney to give Duke Bardorba closure. It is Sidney disguising himself as Ashley to get into the manor to have closure with his father. And I will arrive at that conclusion by the end of this discussion Kaysen and I have. So don't worry, I'll get there. This is not actually Sydney. This is Ashley oh, disguised as Sydney at Duke Bardorba's side. Well, that's fascinating. That's interesting. But <laughs> that makes but me wonder what. I don't understand. Okay, anyways, the next part. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's say what happened. Because this, I have a lot of thoughts about this yeah. scene. So the Duke says, Well met, Sydney. So it is done. You have suffered much. I too have played my part. Let us leave the rest to this Ashley. He is the one you have chosen. I know what must be done. And then he, uh, Sidney, gives him a dagger, right? Yeah. And he says, I was not much of a father to you. Forgive me, my son. They embrace, and then the Duke stabs him. Uh, I love um, how there's a glint in the Duke's eye, and it sort of falls like a tear a little yeah. bit as, like, uh, Sidney is stabbed, and he's sort of dying and disappearing, right? So, if this is Ashley... Pretending to be Sydney, he's just doing this for so, the sake so of so the Duke can have closure. So the dork, the, 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 the Duke can have yeah. closure. Yes, right. But I kind of like it better if it's really Sydney and they're dying together. I would like it if it was really Sydney as well. So it's like, did did Ashley get Sydney out of the city in time, or did he leave him there and then just? disguise himself yeah. as Sydney for the scene. I don't know how to read that because it seems clear to me with the use of that sound effect that Ashley is just disguising himself. Yeah, but, but I would is, like is, it so much better if Sydney got a chance to be with his father one last time oh, absolutely. and they died together. I well, feel like that would be such a great closure to their story. Can Sydney still use magic after I, having... I don't know. Okay. I don't know how the rules work. I think because yeah, it's been passed to Ashley now. Ashley's got the darkness. He's got the root inverse now. Yeah. It, like it's been transferred. The legacy has been carried over to him. And he he has all the powers that that Sidney used to have in the beginning of the game when he disguised yes. himself as Guildenstern. And and when Sidney did that same sound effect show when Sidney was Guildenstern, I don't but remember then turned around. that far back, but maybe. There was some sound effect, but I actually don't remember the sound effect you're referring to in this part either. <laughs> yeah, so there's a sound effect right as the Duke calls out, well met, Sydney," and it looks up and reveals Sydney standing there, not Ashley. Because Ashley, in his yeah. vagrant garb, walked in. And but Ashley, outside the du- Duke's mm-hmm. manor a second later, is wearing black robes. Yeah, he's wearing So I'm, I'm confused as fetch. Now, I would say, <laughs> let's just keep it Sydney. Just keep it be Sydney because that was better. <laughs> that was more meaningful. I like that better if it's really Sydney. Yeah. But th- then that would insinuate that Sydney disguised himself as, as Ashley to, to come get in, in can, but can, then revealed he was actually Sydney, which can, could work. Can Sydney just walk into the Duke's mansion? I, I wouldn't think he'd I wouldn't be able think to. either of them he could, let Mullen can Oh, you're right. Like Because the, they're all investigating whether... Uh, well, well no, but, hold but on. Either hold way, on. No, it I was just put Ashley. it together. I just put it together. Okay, what? Remember the Greylands incident report yes. that I was referring to earlier, yeah, where, yeah, they, yeah. where they were saying Ashley is responsible for the murder of the Duke. Right. If Ashley 
walked into the room, but then it was actually Sydney disguised uh, as this, Ashley. Okay, you got you. You're right. You're right. That's how they you blamed right. Ashley for the murder of the Duke. You are right about that. And then the real Ashley was outside in the black garb, but Sydney disguised himself as Ashley to get in, but then revealed he was Ashley so we could have his last moment with his father. You're right. That's 100% right. I think that's what because happened. Because this whole game takes place in 24 hours, in one yeah. single day. Yes, but then the, this is a week later. I this, know. This particular That's thing the is whole a week point, later. though. Yeah. I, I play the game, and I'm thinking that, as with most games, it's, it's hard to judge how much time has passed, but my yes. assumption is a lot of time. Yes. No. In Vagrant Story, it is not a lot of time. It is one day. Right. The whole game is right. one day. And so that makes this plausible. So it's just one day after we show up in Lamont, then Sydney shows up as us to kill the Duke because the report was later anyways. That's it. I think you got that. Yes. I think so you that figured that out. So that report rep- saying that Ashley is at large, like we don't know what happened was to him. Was a week after We need Grey to Lens find incidents. him. Was They're not saying, oh, we need to go to Lamont to find him. They're saying, we don't know where he is, but we've got to find him because he's the only one who knows what happened here. Mm-hmm. And the last time he was seen was at the Duke's manor and so he's being... Which manner, he's though? He's a suspect. That, this was the Duke's second Second residence. house. But he's a suspect in the murder of the Duke. The Duke was still alive before the Leomond incident. Yes. He only died after, a week after. So that's true. With the fact that they're saying that the Duke was assassinated at all is weird. Yes. Right? Yes. But then as soon as this moment happens and then the knife is on the floor because the knife drops after yes. it was put into Sydney, then he disappears and the knife falls. Yes. Although he... W- so Ashley How did he would have been oh. able to get in because yeah. the Duke might have called for him to come or something like that, yeah. n- knowing Sydney could transform. Anyways, He hadn't been accused Sydney, of killing the Duke yet. Yeah, Ashley was not yeah. a suspect yet, yeah. which is why he would have been able to get in as Ashley and then reveal he's actually Sydney. That's crazy. That's what it is. So I that's think. what happened. I think yes. you're right on that. I think you're right on that. Now, do you have anything more to say about well, that? Well, then just the next scene is... Outside, Ashley's standing there yeah, dressed he's watching. in black, watching the, the manor. Yeah. And some sol- soldier just comes walking up like, who, who walks there at this hour? What's your business? Show your papers. And he turns around, that that transformation yeah. sound effect plays, and it's Merlos, but in the same black robes, right? Callum Merlos, VKP Inquisitor, shows her, like, badge, basically. Yeah, <laughs> but, so he has her papers as well. That's yeah. interesting. Oh, my lady, I beg your forgiveness. It's no matter. You're merely doing your duty. Thank you, milady. And he like walks away. And then Ashley turns back into himself and he walks into the darkness, right? And the, the it ends on, and so began the story of the wanderer, the vagrant. And it says the Phantom Pain, which is the title of this story, the story yeah. of vagrant story, this particular section of this world's history. Yeah. It's referred to as the Phantom Pain. And then I love how the credits are done like a film. That was my last. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where they show the, the images and. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. And there is like starring Ashley Riot and Sydney. <laughs> I love that, yeah. Stuff like that. that was great. That was great. So that was kind of cool. What was your note? So, there? well, I had a couple. Uh, one of them in particular is the moment with um, Sydney and the Duke. So Sydney goes in and he and the Duke have a moment together. And um, Sydney. At first, I was thinking Sidney gives the Duke the knife because the, the Duke can kill himself. Yes. Right? But it was so that the Duke could kill him, so that Sidney could die. Yes. Um, so I contrast this moment 
with uh, Guildenstern and Samantha, mm. right? Because they also had embraced, and and then he stabbed her. She was unwilling, an unwilling participant there. She would, yeah. she did not give herself willingly, and he didn't, he wouldn't either. The, neither of them were willing to make a sacrifice for what they were doing, yeah. right? And that may have factored into their will in the end, you know. But then you have uh, Sydney and the Duke. And they come together in, a, in an embrace, but they're both willing to sacrifice. Yes. And that leads to what I would consider to be an ascension, but to peace, right? Where yeah. they can they can die in peace, whereas the other two who were unwilling to accept death end up, um, well, in hell. Yeah. <laughs> and then Sidney and the Duke are able to transcend you know, life because they accepted death, right? right. And that was that was a big deal. But the, um, contrasting those two moments, the way that the two people died in an embrace, um, I thought that was fascinating. That yeah. was very interesting. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. Um, the story of this game is fantastic. I it's extremely good. <laughs> absolutely love the story of this game. Yeah, I love it. Uh, Man, this would be like just a great movie. Just a good... Uh, just so I was going to comment on that. If you're just watching the cutscenes on YouTube, yeah, this is including the credits. It's about two hours seventeen minutes. Oh, nice! Just the cutscenes. Yeah, that's pretty good. That you 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 tack on thirty to forty five minutes of fights and uh, you know exploration yeah. of the the city a little bit yeah. to show him going from place to place and fighting against bosses and things like that. Yeah. This could be got a three hour flick, like a three or two and a half or two yeah, yeah. forty five movie. Yeah, and it would be very. It good. would, and you could very almost good. remake it shot for shot. Yeah, you wouldn't have to true. change anything. Oh man, didn't we have some idea about doing a shot for shot remake of one scene from this game well, back well, years ago? That was kind of an idea of where we wanted to take Dark Pixel before we moved yeah, on from it. Yeah, was that we were like, okay, let's just do shot for shot live action of versions different of different games. video games. I feel like Vagrant Story came across. The this is one that I really wanted to yeah. do on top of Shadow of the Colossus. And, and Resident um, Evil 4, Resident I think. Resident Evil 4's cool opening. Uh, Ninja Gaiden. Ninja Gaiden. Which we, were, we filmed. We made we but didn't ah, release. <laughs> anyways. Um, so we, that was kind of the direction we were thinking going at Dark Pixel. I still really want to do that. Yeah. I don't know how or when. Maybe one day. To come up with like the resources <laughs> and time and people to do it. But yeah. it would be a really cool YouTube channel. Yeah, it would. Um, so anyway... This would be a great game to pull for, but I mean the costumes. We'd have to basically yeah. shoot on green screen and recreate Almost castles everything. and things. Almost everything. But if we could do that, yeah. if we could find a way to find a studio where we could have just green walls everywhere, dude, that'd be sweet. <laughs> and you get good costumes made. Like yeah. we could totally just maybe do the opening scene of Vegas. Yeah, yeah. super sweet. Okay, so a couple things I want to do before we wrap up here. Um, first of all, uh, somebody was bringing up to us. Um, I hope they go over the room names. So oh, yeah. Each time you go into a room in this game, they have really interesting names to them, right? Um, I, I don't really have much to say about that, which is why I wasn't planning on bringing mm-hmm. it up. It's just kind of like, oh, that's an interesting thing, but I don't like know if there's any real like profundity or reason yeah, why they did some it. some meaning. But Alex O. Smith does talk about this a little bit in his interview with uh, U.S. Gamer. Um, so, uh, let's see. The the question was, this is a pretty dense script for being a relatively short game. Are there any sub, uh, subtleties that you think players have overlooked in any of the characters? Um, now, Rich, the editor, says, I can't speak to the characters, but for the dungeon rooms themselves, 
Each of the names had handcrafted or was handcrafted by Alex and packed with homage to interesting and mutually beloved things. Also, I think we talked a reference to the Eye of Argon away somewhere in there. But then Alex responds and says, yeah, the room names were a fun challenge because the Japanese names were very long and we didn't have anywhere near the space in English to directly translate, which gave me free reign to translate very, very loosely. Nice. I took a cue from Matsuno's many homages to Queen song, songs and lyrics. So Matsuno's a very big fan of Queen. And, mm, and cool. that's been, I mean, March of the Black Queen. Oh, and nice. And even in Final Fantasy Tactics, there are references to Queen, like, kind of all over his games. So knowing that, right, he, tr- he sort of tried his best to translate these in very yeah. abbreviated ways. Um, okay, so further down, um, he gives some samples of this. So, like, the direct translation, if he were to directly translate th- this room name, it would have been... Mineshaft where someone spent all their strength for the one they loved. That would be like the whole name of the room. <laughs> yeah, and I, I can kind of reverse that into English or into Japanese a little yeah. bit to where it's like, hey, it's not as long as it sounds. Yeah. In Japanese, it wouldn't be as long as it sounds in, in English in when translated, translated out. Yeah. yeah. It's like a whole sentence, a whole phrase is the name of the room. So he took Mineshaft where someone spent all their strength for the one they loved and turned it into the passion of lovers. Right. Yeah, makes more uh, sense. The next one, Stairway, where someone danced a dance of joy after drinking cheap wine. He turned to <laughs> Bacchus is cheap. <laughs> um, direct translation, Stairway, where someone collapsed from overwork. He, tra- he translated to work, then die. So he did that for all those, uh, those, all those room names. So that's why they have those really interesting names for all the rooms in the game. Mm. This game actually has a really good map system. Um, I don't know how much you used it in, in your playthrough of the game, but like... It's got, like, full 3D rotation. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It actually reminds me, I don't know if you played Metroid Prime, but it's a very, mm, nope. this came before Metroid Prime, obviously, but the map is very similar to that. It's like nice. each room has, like, it's like a wireframe almost. Yeah, yeah. Of, like, the shape of the room, and they're, like, it shows all the rooms that connect and hallways that connect to it, and you can rotate around it, like, in any direction. That's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah. Because a so, lot of times you have to go back, backwards, right. and, like, retrace through all the rooms and stuff. So, yeah, a uh, really good map system in this game. Anyways, I just wanted to bring that up because somebody was asking us, hey, hey can you, you know, touch on this? So uh, that's that. The last thing I wanted to touch on was that this uh, Schmuppelations article uh, interview that I talked about in the first episode, um, you know, we talk a lot about theme and things like yeah. that when we're sort of, you know, talking about these games and their stories and breaking them down. I just wanted to, in fairness and in, in an attempt for accuracy, give some of Matsuno's own words regarding what regarding he feels theme. about theme and what his thought process actually was in making these games so that we're not like asserting those things on his behalf. Oh, yeah. Right? right. <laughs> now, it, it's totally valid to pull your own mm-hmm. meaning from it or your own interpretation of what it yeah. means. But it, I think it is important to at least... In the artist's own words, like, you know, if the guy didn't have a theme in mind, you should at least say that, right? Yeah, at least make it known that it, the theme was not done on purpose. It may still be there, but it wasn't done on purpose. So um, the interviewer asks, I can see you, you've assembled quite a talented staff. However, from everything I've heard, your contributions as the unifier is a huge part of what makes your games what they are. If, as you say, you don't begin with an initial vision for a specific game or world you want to create, then where do you find the motivation to throw yourself into a single development for nearly two years? 
Um, and he says, I don't know. I mean, when it comes to making games, I'm, a co I'm, uh, I'm content to putter along at my own pace, so the long development time doesn't bother me much. But as for my motivation, if I had to say, it would be the internet that motivates me. <laughs> the internet is connecting the world more and more these days, and players are writing reviews for all sorts of games online. I get sucked into stuff like that easily, so I always read them. And when I see criticism about our games, it makes me want to fix those flaws in whatever uh, we're working on now. Um, go ahead. That, that's, that may have been a good thing to do back 20 years ago, but <laughs> don't read all the reviews yeah. in 2022 and don't take them as advice and then go try to fix them. Because, yeah. You'll I mean, freaking kill yourself. You'll just be... <laughs> appealing to the minority, and that's not a good idea. Exactly. Um, he says, to go back a bit, after we finished Ogre Battle, Quest was experiencing a staff shortage, and I had to do the user support by myself. People would call uh -huh. in and say stuff like, this game doesn't make any sense. Who's <laughs> responsible for this mess? Put him on the line. <laughs> that's so funny. And I'd respond, ah, I'm sorry, that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> in this way, for four long months, I got to hear it all straight from the horse's mouths. Uh, psychologically, it was exhausting, mm -hmm. but it was also a good learning experience. I applied the things I learned from that in our next game, Tactics Ogre. And likewise, after that, I built on the feedback for Tactics Ogre when I made Final Fantasy Tactics. With FFT, however, the more critical feedback really caught my attention, and Vagrant Story reflects that a lot, I think. I was mm. determined not to make the same mistakes again. Um, the interviewer asks, you also help write the setting and story for your games. Did you ever want to be a writer or director when you were growing up? And he says, I did want to make movies once, but the motivation for that wasn't really related to what you're talking about now. When I made Ogre Battle, Quest was a tiny company, so I had to do much of the planning and other work myself, by necessity. It was just an accident of fate that the writing I did was well received <laughs> and that I was able so to modest. continue doing it. I know, I know, right? I'm gonna get into that. Personally, <laughs> as far as writing stories and scenarios is concerned, to be honest, I'm keenly aware of my own limitations and even now, if possible, I prefer not to do much of that kind of work if I can avoid it. During the development of FFT, I actually had wanted to create the battle system myself, but we had Hiroyuki Ito on the team the guy who had created the active time battle system and job system for Final Fantasy series, so I didn't want, so it didn't make sense for him to write the story. I asked to do the battle system from the start, but ultimately, being short-staffed, I had to write the story, again, by necessity. And the interviewer asks, what kind of story did you want to tell the Vagrant story? <laughs> he says, ah, I'm really bad with questions like this. With Final Fantasy Tactics, I think I really wanted to create my own version of Final Fantasy. I saw Final Fantasy as a kind of morality tale adventure story. For Vagrant Story, my first concept was to have two hours worth of event scenes strewn throughout the game. That's okay. almost perfectly the what movie, it is. Yeah. My image wasn't so much of a big Hollywood movie as it was two hour Tuesday e as it was a two-hour Tuesday evening suspense drama. I wasn't thinking mm -hmm. we'd uh, make something with all these heavy and pretentious themes. I wanted to make it more lighthearted and easy to digest. There was one thing I knew I didn't want. Even though we were always going to tell a complete story, I didn't want to draw the conclusion for players. I wanted to make a game where, from all the different experiences you have as the player or protagonist, you create the conclusion, what it all means for yourself. I thought we'd try a, a more fragmentary approach this time, where players are simply presented with bits of information and they have to weave it together into a narrative themselves. In that sense, the question of whether Ashley's memories are true or not that is something I didn't want to give an answer to. I just wanted to tell the tale. 
So they left it ambiguous on purpose, right? Hmm. Um, so leaving things ambiguous was your way of posing a question to the player. Some people will criticize that approach, saying the story feels incomplete or half-baked. It's a valid approach to storytelling in cinema, though, so I feel like it should be valid in games as well. Um, you mentioned that you see Vagrant Story as a Tuesday evening suspense drama, but I feel that, as with your previous games, there are heavy themes strewn throughout, hidden within the background of the story. Um, has that been done at your behest? And he says, well, it's interesting. The truth is the themes I've included in my games have usually reflected the people and the situations I was working in at the time. We talked about this a little bit in FF Tactics, right? Yeah. For example, in Final Fantasy Tactics, the theme of the class-based society of nobles and commoners uh, yeah. that came about was when I joined Square, as you can imagine, there were individuals that were like royalty, mm -hmm. their talent and the social capital they had amassed. It made me doubt whether someone without those gifts could ever succeed there, no matter how hard they tried. And those ideas found their way into the game. For Vagrant Story, I had experienced personally the way in which information and facts can change so dramatically depending on who is conveying that information. Uh -huh. Everyone interprets things in a way that is most favorable to their own circumstances. This time I wanted to be more, I wanted that to be more than just a simple theme. I wanted the very structure of the story to reflect that idea. Well, that's so fascinating. It's, it's funny mm. because he is being very modest. In, there's other places in the interview where yeah. he downplays his own role. Of it's course. my staff. It, they're the creative ones. I'm mm -hmm. just the unifier. I'm just the guy who puts it all, yeah. you know, makes sure that they're on you know, the same page with each other. But they're the creative ones. He says, I don't write for pretentious themes. Mm -hmm. But then he basically tells you exactly what the game's theme is yeah. right here. And... In the other interview with Alexander O. Smith, there's like two or three times where he shouts out Matsuno and his brilliance as a storyteller. Oh, really? Nice. So, like, yeah. it, it feels to me like he's trying not to, to be pretentious or, it, like, yeah. <coughs> uh, believe too much in his own ability or, like, mm. um, you know, to be arrogant or something. In some ways, that's a very Japanese thing yeah. to do, you, to be very humble and to be very... to um, Anytime you get a compliment to say no, 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 yeah, instead of thank you, right? Yeah, they if you compliment someone in, J in Japan, if you speak Japanese and you go to Japan and you compliment someone, they will not say thank you, yeah, they will say no, 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 and then they will compliment you, they'll yeah. deny the compliment and return the favor, right? So, this is so funny because when I was um, learning Japanese, one of the first things that they'll teach you is how to say something well, what a Japanese person is likely to say to you. One of the most common things you will likely hear in Japan, whether it's true or not, is, wow, your Japanese is so good. <laughs> right? And the proper response to that is not thank you. Yeah. <laughs> the proper response is, no, no, I'm just trying. I'm just learning. Yeah, That's right. the proper response. Right. But most Americans would say thank you. <laughs> and Japanese people will look at that and be like, eh, okay. Yeah, your Japanese it, actually It's sucks. not how their culture works <laughs> exactly. They don't, want, they don't want to tell you, but it's actually pretty bad. Yeah. So the interviewer goes on to say, fascinating. We can see your life in the history of your games then. And Matsuno says, I see it as a kind of spice for the stories, in the same way that pepper brings out the flavor in a bowl of ramen. Mm. But the pepper itself, those thematic ideas, if you asked me if they had some particularly deep meaning on their own, I'd say no, not at all. So, that being said, I really do see this part of it. Me like, too. Multiple times in our discussion, yeah. we have brought up the idea that that the news is about perspective and that history is about, you know, whatever 
competing idea happened to win as opposed to an actual journalistic narrative of the the true facts, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and so, as he says here, everyone interprets things in a way that is most favorable to their own circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. And that information and facts can change so dramatically depending on who is conveying that information. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of leads to the whole question of whether Ashley killed the innocent family or whether his family was killed. Right. And you're not, he's not supposed to give you an answer to that question in mm -hmm. the game. You're supposed to kind of piece that together. And there are the, the point reasons to think that Sidney was lying about right. the, him killing people. Right. It, it's hard for me to believe Rosencrantz did that, to see the motivation behind him lying there, or even knowing that Ashley... That Sidney was lying. That Sidney planted yeah. that lie in the first place. Yeah. However, the idea is that they then plant the idea that Sidney lies, and Ashley realizes this, so maybe he's lying to me about this. So it's meant to be ambiguous. Anyways. Yes, and the the point of a story like this that's set within a mythos, right, is never to give you a fact-based, materialistic, like, you know, journalism writing of the actual facts as they actually happened, you know, point by point. Yeah. That's never the point of stories, just in general, of any story, right? Anytime you watch the news or you read something that is supposed to be factual, but it happens to fit a narrative structure, like a, like a really nice story, mm -hmm. it's probably not true. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably that the elements that fit the story are purposefully handpicked and selected and then pushed as a story to get people to be more interested because we love stories, right? right? But um, we want to see stories. We look for stories and things. But a story is almost by definition not the actual objective fact of what happened. Yeah. That's like not what a story is nor what it can be because there's too many facts to choose from. A story is the meaningful few facts being, uh, um, what's the word, not abstracted, siphoned, taken out, <laughs> and then lined up in a way that plays with your emotions the way that they want you to feel. Right. That's what a story is. Yeah. And the actual things that happened, there's, there's an infinity of them, right? Mm -hmm. There's too many atoms to have possibly focused on, but the ones that we find most meaningful are the ones that we talked about. You know, it's like, well, yeah. that's how story works, but we've got, that's how our brains work. And so we're trying to understand the objective world through stories. And, well, stories may not be the best tool for that. Yeah. But they're great for storytelling, so there we go. Yeah. And he seems to understand that very well. I think he does. Yeah, and, and the way he tells, and the, the, the few, and that's why he's so good with short scenes um, telling a story in a very concise way is because he's taking out all of the irrelevant details. Mm -hmm. He's only taking what is important, what we would believe is important and what matters, what's meaningful. And he's just conveying that in every scene, in every cutscene. And right. we get a very good story that's actually pretty dang short. Right. right, all things considered. It's like just watching a movie. It's a 40-hour game, but then it's like the story, it could be condensed into a two-hour film. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's really good. So the last thing I want to do before we wrap up is just go over a few comments that, that have been left and kind of respond to them. Because there have been some really good ones um, left on uh, the first two episodes. Rodrigo Hartman that for some reason I always imagined Ashley was being ironic instead of braggish about him being the reinforcements. As in, nope, I'm all they're willing to throw at this problem. 
not like I am the reinforcements, but mm -hmm. like, are you kidding me? You think there are reinforcements coming? It's just me. Right. I mean, I, that thought crossed my mind as yeah. well. Yeah. And this guy says, yep, uh, this is a Diego uh, Soto Miranda saying, yep, because Ashley per Ashley's personality after that scene wasn't cocky or bragging to me, more like cold and focused. And considering how high the stakes are in this game and his uh, memory loss, I doubt that he was uh, that he has that piece of cake demeanor. So yeah. like he's not being like I am the reinforcements. So were this line to come at the end of the game, that's true. The fact that it comes at the beginning of the game before we know anything about that's Ashley's character is probably in part why people would read it that way. So you know, you read it knowing his character better. You would read it differently. Well, the funny but thing is that almost nobody probably saw this because they wouldn't have left <laughs> the start screen Let it alone go. for two, two, or actually, it's just I guess it's the first one. But anyways, yeah. if you just start the game, you don't even see the scene at all, right? So, mm -hmm. anyways, I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it, and I think that that's probably right. Like Ashley is not the kind of person who would brag or like be right. uh, um, like, yeah, like I am the reinforcements. It, that's probably meant to be read more like this is all this is all we're getting like no. it's me I'm it like this is we got to take care of the situation more read in that way right um okay uh, uh, there were a lot of people a lot of people uh, there was maybe one person who said yeah this is cool do it this way and there was probably like. 15 people <laughs> who want, said, want that oh, I like the before when you did a more, like, uh, like some people even said, I would watch the first episode, but maybe not the later ones because I wasn't playing the game with you and hadn't played the game. Oh, but I at least oh. really wanted to know the dev history of the game to see if it would be something I'd be interested in playing. Yeah. So that could account for some of the reasons why those first episodes are higher viewed than the later ones, because right. it's just, oh, I'm just checking this to see. I know they're not gonna talk about the game so much quite yet. I just wanna right. see what it's all about. So I'm trying to decide hmm. whether or not this feedback, we just talked about whether we take feedback or not, <laughs> is a good idea. We'll have to talk but about that. Whether this feedback is uh, something we should take into account, maybe we're trying to fix something that wasn't broken in a sense. Yeah, yeah, that's possible. And, um, so we're gonna think about that. Uh, we're, we'll discuss it and we'll talk about it. We, we hear you though, We've, I've seen the comments. There were quite a few people saying, you know, I, I really wish that you would just do the dev history episodes like you used to do. I, I liked that better as an opening. Yeah. Um, and there cool. was lots of people saying that. So just wanted to say I saw that. Um, <clears throat> okay, so I think this guy's responding to you. Sanji Tyloxion. It was about the idea of freedom of religion being like a modern sort of concept, but applied to this medieval setting mm -hmm. kind of a thing. He said, uh, to be honest, the idea of freedom of religion isn't new. Uh, just to nitpick, the Persian Empire and a few other older establishments defended a freedom of religion to a degree. Some so long as there was no like worship of icons or other such limitations from ruler to ruler and uh, the region in question. So I don't know. I'm not a history well, buff. So well, this like, is how Egypt was too. Egypt would allow people to keep their gods when they came oh, true. to Egypt. Yeah. Um, there's something there. It's not. I wouldn't say that that's freedom of religion, though. In the same sense that 
That's more like freedom of culture and with limitation, with strict limitations on what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. It's different from the idea of freedom of religion of you can be any religion and practice whatever you want. Um, especially as he gives some of the ideas of, well, just don't do any idols. What's well, like, okay, but my religion has idols, so it's not actually freedom. Of yeah, religion like, in that sense. but but that is actually I I do take the point that there is some difference, but that it's not like every um, ancient empire forced everyone to be the same religion every time. Mm. Some did, but not all of them. Yeah. So fair enough. That's a good point. Um, so we got Rob here. He says, the impression I get from the prelude scene in the darkened room is that the three characters around the table are the only ones that are supposed to be there. The reason it seems so cloak and dagger is because the people in the dark are the members of parliament that are wanting to oust Duke Bardorba from his shadowy position of control and are influencing the VKP to make this happen. While there is an official record of the meeting, I doubt they were actually recording anything not said by the main three. So the idea mm. here being like, Parliament is in the room, but this is like VKP offices or something. Mm. They're not supposed to be there, but they're trying to like they're get the Duke out. We don't yeah. want the Duke to like rule us anymore. Mm. How can we like change the situation? In the shadows, we'll meet with the CIA and find a way to like oust him. That's like his idea of why they're in the darkness. Interesting. I like I think that. That's Actually, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. From what is said at the meeting, I got the impression that the Crimson Blades are the Cardinal's personal force, with the Templars being a separate group that answers to the Church as a whole, and it should have been the Templars who would have dealt with incidents such as this. The Crimson Blades' involvement is seen as an unusual, or is seen as unusual not because they did not consult with the VKP, but because they were there in the first place or at all. Right, they shouldn't have been there at all. Yeah, so it's like the, he, he's separating the Templars and the Knights of the Church from the Crimson Blades, which is also mm. part of the church, but they're like a separate thing. And it's like All the right. Templars should have addressed this problem. Why are the Crimson Blades doing it? Mm. Is kind of the distinction he's making there. Okay. Um, he also says Merlos is not an experienced field agent. Right. Which is why she was left behind twice. So when she tells Ashley to wait for reinforcements, she is simply not fully cognizant of just what kind of a thing Risk Breaker is expected, a risk breaker is expected to accomplish. <laughs> Ashley is not bragging, nor is he being ironic. He is being matter of fact. Ashley basically is Solid Snake. One riot, one ranger. The Ultimania goes into detail on risk breakers and how Ashley is on another level, even from the rest of them. So that would be something to look into as well. Cool. Um, again, another reading of it. One guy was thinking maybe he's being ironic about it. He's thinking, no, he's just being matter of fact. Like, he's just saying, I am the reinforcements. This is it. We're not getting reinforcements. Time to go in, right? Um, sure. <clears throat> oh, this was pretty interesting. And I haven't gone back and listened to this yet. But uh, Irk123456 says, on the subject of Vagrant Story's soundtrack, something I didn't notice until I added it to my work playlist is that Rosencrantz has a leitmotif that sounds like a more chaotic version of the theme that plays during flashbacks to Ashley's past. Hmm. It's also the Lizard Man boss theme, um, but I'm not sure if that's intentional. Well, the um, Lizard Man thing, no, <laughs> probably not. Yeah. But in terms of being part of Ashley's past, that's fascinating. Yeah, because cool. Rosencrantz was part of he Ashley's was, past. He was there. He was there. Yeah, right? He was literally there. That's so, his past, too. Yeah, that would be a really cool way to tie Rosencrantz to Ashley's mm. past with the music, to tell yeah. the story with the music. Oh, a nice cool. light motif there. So that, that was really interesting. So Heon says here, just a small point. 
agent as meaning deputy or representative sure. is from all the way back in 1590s. Oh, sick. I didn't know that. In the sense of a spy or secret agent. Which I think is how they're using right, it here. Is attested by 1916. 1916. So okay. he says the term agent of the crown, for example, has existed for a very long time as such agents would occasionally be what we today could think of as spies anyways, hence the modern derivative. Ah, cool. In this sense, while risk breakers being agents in the latter sense is a modern usage of the word, the word still carries with it enough classic context and appropriate meaning to function as a kind of, they could have used it in this way without sure. standing uh, out much, in my opinion. So, nice. that was an interesting Hey, that's point. actually cool. I like yeah. that. Um, let's do like one or two more here. And then, of course, because this is a couple weeks ahead, right? Mm -hmm. Anything that you guys put into the comments on the, this final episode or later episodes, we'll try to address uh, when we have time by just yeah, responding yeah. in the comments, right? Um, okay. So he says, on to the episode uh, here, there may have been some misunderstanding about the pursuit of Sydney from Kaysen or perhaps from both of you. Merlos and Ashley did not separate at the Duke's Manor and rejoin here at the outskirts of the city. Ashley learned that Sidney was going to Leomond, right, because he was there when they were talking about it, um, during their confrontation and relayed this to Merlos off-screen, and then they went there together. I think, oh. I think we had said something like, how did uh, Merlos learn? They met there. Learn, it like, seemed like, like they seemed met there have, incidentally. Yes. But Rod is saying that it wasn't. It, right. They, it was not incidental. So Ashley learned that Sidney was going to Leomond during their confrontation, relayed this to Merlos off-screen, they went there together. It is clear that they were not meeting up there, but just checking out different spots after they arrived. Right, because she was like, how's it down there? That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. In the first episode, Kaysen seemed confused about her, or how Merlos figured out where Sydney went. She didn't. Ashley told her, and she told him where it is, or what yeah. and where it is. Um, oh, because he learned about, he didn't know what Leomond was. So he's like, they said something about Leomond. She knows where Leomond is. They go there together, is what he's saying, right? Hmm. Um, oh, he also says, uh, this is just you know, some wording uh, issues here. Back to the framing device, you keep saying that Ashley has been blamed for the Duke's murder, but this seems like an incorrect use of the word. It seems to imply that he was framed or that he's a scapegoat, uh, but the presentation of the story implies that he is genuinely believed to be responsible as the suspect of the Duke's murder. Um, so calling him a suspect rather than being blamed for it would probably be. <coughs> sure, sure. That's kind of what I meant, but anyway. Yeah, but no. I the, the question is implied to be, uh, did Ashley really murder the Duke and why? More than who framed him for murdering the Duke and why? I can certainly see how you'd come to this conclusion, though, from the way the framing device of FF Tactics worked. Um, no, I, just, I was just saying he's being blamed for it, but I, what I meant is, anyways, yes, I get it. Uh, do, 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 any other things? Okay, I'll just read this last one. While Kaysen is geeking out over the architectural design, I just want to note how there is good world building between cutscenes to be found in item descriptions. Hmm. There are various accessories and uh, gems that reference tactics or the wines with their descriptions, but my favorite piece is the beaded anklet accessory. Anklet worn by Mullenkamp, a dancer, and the head priestess of ancient Kiltia. It is very far into the game that you find this item, but all of a sudden, opening, the opening FMV makes sense. Um, from why is there a belly dancer in this intro to, aha, that's who the belly dancer was. And you can indeed see her beaded anklet during those close-ups on her feet. 
you immediately broke down why she was there in the first episode, but from the game itself, you only find out this information by finding that accessory. Just as mm. how you only know that the Davis Dow and Marid caused the great earthquake. Those are the, the names of the, the, the summons that created the earthquake that destroyed Lamon. Um, I have a question about that that yeah. I just remembered. Yeah. Was Duke Bardorba responsible for the earthquake 25 years ago? I don't know. That is a good question. Because he had the key, right? Yeah. He only passed it on to Ashley or to um, Sydney later. What did she say about that? Because she talked about these summons that came and like buried it, and, and there's the earthquake in the water that came in, right? Hello, it's me again uh, in post trying to do some research on whether Duke Bardorba was involved in this earthquake that killed the citizens of Leomond 25 years before the Greylands incident. Here's what the wiki says about it. The dark tainted Leomond and the parliament wished to control it. So I remember this because this is kind of what Rosencrantz was talking about earlier before we entered the Snowfly Forest. He was implicating that Parliament was involved somehow in feeding souls, right? Uh, and that they killed the people of Leomond. So my first thought was, oh, Parliament was involved. Duke Bardorba, 25 years ago, certainly would have been in the Parliament, perhaps a leading member of the Parliament. Maybe he was responsible for this, but I don't know that for sure. Because if it goes on to say... The dark-tainted Leomond and the Parliament wished to control it, deciding to empower it by feeding souls to it. In a devious scheme 25 years before the Greylands incident, the water diva Marid and the earth diva Dao were summoned to cause a catastrophic earthquake that killed the citizens of Leomond. Summoned by who is the question, right? I think we can for sure say it was summoned by Parliament, but was Duke Bardorba involved in that decision? That's the part that I don't know about. The souls of the dead were consumed by darkness, and the phantoms, beasts, and the undead roamed the empty city, now separated from the major landmass. Duke Bardorba, who holds the legacy of Mullenkamp, the Grand Grimoire, refuses to let darkness be misused. As a result, House Bardorba was antagonized by the nobles, who ordered an investigation on its relation to the cult to wrest the Duke's hold on the key. So I don't know. I don't know. I th could see this going either way. In one sense, I could see Duke Bardorba not being involved in this somehow. And that's why Parliament is coming after him to get the key from him. On the other hand, I could see this being that Duke Bardorba was involved. And that's what he feels so bad about. That's what Hardin was referring to when he was saying that the Duke that the Duke is afraid he's going to pay for the sins of this life in the next. I think that's the way Hardin put it. And if he's talking about this incident, that Bardorba was in part responsible or maybe the primary decision maker of Parliament who fed the city of Leomond with the souls of its citizens by summoning these divas, right? If Bardorba was involved in that decision, then I could see why he would feel so guilty and why he would feel the need to atone by keeping the key away from those who want to misuse it 
namely Parliament, the VKP, the Cardinal, the Church, the Crimson Blades, all of those people. He's trying to keep the key away from them. And that's what Sidney is trying to help him to do. And that he feels like doing that will in some way help atone for this incident. So I could see that being the case. I don't know if there's an official answer somewhere. I'll look for that in the comments if anybody has an answer to that. But I could I think that's the way that I'm leaning towards right now. That that is the reason why Bardorba feels so guilty. Anyways, <laughs> interesting details. Um, I think that's all we're going to have time for today. But we will keep an eye on the comments um, in the when this goes live. Um, particularly since it's the last episode. And uh, we'll discuss stuff with you there. So thank you for joining us for Vagrant Story. Um, again, I don't know as of this moment what the next game will be, but it will very likely either be Final Fantasy X or Chrono Cross. Yeah. Um, Chrono Cross Remastered comes out very soon, as for when this goes live, maybe like a week out. Mm -hmm. So it'd be cool if it ended up being that, but um, we are at the patrons' mercy on this, and it seems some of them are really tired of Final Fantasy X losing these polls, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, it may end up being that. But in any case, thanks for watching, thanks for supporting us, and uh, we will see you guys again next week. Peace out. <laughs>